0: back to deep focus my name's quaid and i'm here with my co-host nick how you doing
1: pretty good how's it going guys
0: anyways we said that we were going to do a tenant episode as a bonus episode but you know what life got in the way and now it's just <laughs> your regular goddamn episode <laughs> so um but anyways we've both rewatched watched tenant recently how recently yep. for you
1: Uh, you know, I actually watched it, uh, I think a few days after we watched it the first time. Okay. It was a bit ago, but I took, uh, I have some notes on my phone from back then.
0: I did it last Monday. So around six days ago for me. Um, and well, I got some small things if you wouldn't mind. I could just start off with that. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, number one thing I Mm -hmm. liked it so much more on the second watch than I did the first watch. Frankly, yeah. after the first watch, I was a little bit like, you know what? Not not Nolan's best movie. You know, like that's sort of like how I was thinking. But I also think a huge thing that was happening to me is I don't think I should watch Nolan movies in Dolby. Frankly, Nolan already makes his movie so loud. And I'm not talking about the dialogue because <laughs> I don't care about the dialogue. Being yeah. Fucked. Yeah. But I had a little bit of a headache, honestly, like a little bit of a head pain, ear pain after listen, watching it in Dolby and having to listen to everything. <laughs> it was really loud. Yeah. And yeah. I went and rewatched an IMAX this last Monday. And not only could I make out all the dialogue completely, unless, of course, Nolan didn't want me to make out the dialogue. Right. Um, but it was much more enjoyable from that point of view, just, I had a lot more fun looking at it visually and experiencing the sound that wasn't like hurting my eardrums. Um, so that, that was enjoyable for me. Also, um, I've been listening to Christopher Nolan interviews in preparation to edit this episode, which normally I don't do until it's already epic until it's already edited. Right. But, uh, the reason being is we, this is our second episode on it. So I was like, whatever, I'll just do it anyways. And he talks about how you should make your films with layers. And the reason is, is because we live in an era of people rewatching films to a degree that they never did in the past. Like he says, even if you didn't like the movie, you're highly likely of rewatching it at some point, which I think is pretty hilarious. And uh, it it holds up. I think Tenet has those layers. Um, Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, so that's just my sort of quick thing. I liked it more the second time going through, and a lot more of it was really clear for me. Not necessarily the pure mechanics of exactly how, uh, um, what is it called inversion works, Um, right? But the plot itself was a lot clearer.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. Like the second watch definitely felt more like a uh, action spy thriller more than like a like it kind of lost that mystery aspect. I felt like. Yeah, you know, um, and obviously because you know the the ending, but uh, uh, I think it works really well as that kind of film as well. Yeah, you know, and maybe even better actually. But
0: um, another thing is we had a little bit of a disagreement on our like initial reaction thing about whether or not our guy um, what's what's our villain's name Kenneth Brana. What's yeah, his actual yeah. name in the...
1: I, I listened for that this time, too.
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so I think you were essentially right. He was chosen. He was recruited. Um, right. By because the people the, uh, in the future.
1: What was, yeah, because it was like the most unstable time of nuclear weapons, right?
0: Yeah. However, uh, what is not made clear and why it was confusing to me even the first time is how do yeah. they know where these things are? Because th- apparently there's this some future scientist lady who's breaking apart her algorithm and hiding it in the past by inverting it um how do they know where these things are right so that's what was the huge thing that was tripping me up in terms of saying that recruited he was recruited
1: right i think what's going on is that those inverted uh pieces are going like further and further back in time right Hmm. um like they're they're kind of escaping backwards through the timeline with all those pieces right Um, or, or else that's kind of what it seemed like but um uh what the what the future people want is that for them to be put into a place where they can't be touched for you know 300 years so they can dig them up. Oh know, yeah. or or whatever, right. But um that's why they were going to like dump them into the, that nuclear silo and then like blow up a bomb and like cover them up. You know. Well, that's
0: interesting because that's also something I was thinking about of why were they going to blow it up and why were they dumping it in that hole because Okay. Obstentionally uh, yeah. in that moment. And by the way, spoiler again for everyone. Um, if you're watching oh, this, yeah. we're going to spoil <laughs> okay. it. Uh, we've already <laughs> done we an episode do a, about like, this.
1: One at the end again.
0: Yeah, maybe. But anyways, I don't think we gave away too much. Uh, yeah, they, if it. you haven't seen it, you really won't understand what we're talking about anyways. So, yeah. But anyways, about that specific moment, about dumping them in that hole and blowing it up. uh, He's ostentatiously uh, going to use them in that moment. He has it connected to his Fitbit in order to blow... In tor- not in order to blow everything up, but in in order to reverse the flow of time, so to speak, or matter in time. I think it's everything. only
1: the explosives that are uh, connected to his Fitbit. What, the nicks? Or, or not the Fitbit, but his, you know, his pacemaker. Uh, no, 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 the, the explosives that are going to bury them because that oh. essentially makes it so, like you know in 300 years they would do it they would do it but it's essentially like instant you know
0: that makes because, a lot more sense because i was yeah. wondering like how does it work because that's something i know and it was like i was catching myself and i was like wait this is a bit of a prometheus critique so you can't hold it against the film and i'm not but in my yeah. head i was like they're just these apparently these algorithms are just like these little octagon pieces <laughs> of fucking middle and apparently they just work somehow you know like like yeah, yeah what's up with this
1: no yeah so it's just like it's essentially just like um pieces of data as i gathered you know so it's like pieces of data that they're burying and they're putting yeah, in a place drive. where like yeah and, and essentially like the people in the future will be able to retrieve it at that point
0: because they're right. they're possibly uninverting it or something uh, and that's why or, yeah, something like about. that or
1: yeah, the, the, all they got to do is like grab it and then, you know,
0: uh, yeah.
1: read it. But um, and then at that point, they would understand how to uh, revert the flow. But to to the entire universe, relatively, it would feel instant.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, well, because it would just whatever point in time, that'd be weird. That's a weird concept to get your head around In um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, another small thing before we move on to bigger things. Uh huh. Is we were saying this initially, but we are definitely right about this. Is this is definitely built for sequels, and possibly yeah,
1: yeah. I was thinking that too. Um, And I'm actually going to go further into that when we talk about the insight for this film. Um, But uh, I actually had some of my own Prometheus critiques. I have one that's actually valid. Okay. Um, So besides, uh, actually, sorry, I have two that are actually valid. Um my first one um is so when, when he's fighting himself in the like reverse chamber. Yeah. Right. Um the first time and he like uh gets sucked out of the um out of that place by the jet engine. Yeah. Right. Um there's a there's a gun in that moment and uh this gun is a complete paradox because it comes from nowhere right cuz it starts in that room right um like you know uh taken apart and on the ground oh, yeah. right and then it ends up in um in uh the protagonist's hand the protagonist that we're following's hand at the end right so that gun literally just like it appears from nowhere like there it, there's no timeline that converges with that gun and allows it to exist in that so- moment
0: so the protagonist did not bring that gun in when they're going. No, When no. they're inverted, are you um, sure about that,
1: that? That's how. Yes, because that's how they would have fixed it, right? Yeah. Um. Um. And it's it's such a small critique, but like that's just one little mistake that I saw. And yeah,
0: you know, I would actually have to watch thing.
1: it again to see if it does like fly into his hand or fly out of his hand. But I didn't feel like it did.
0: Yeah, we got to put a little bit of a bookmark there for sure. Yeah, but, but, but I mean, it yeah, is a so, little continuity thing, but that's funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's more of like a. Accidental like oversight in writing, you know, sure. Um, or it might have been just like on the day of shooting, like, they I mean, he also could have
0: edited out a shot, you know what I mean? And this is like, you know, fuck it by making perfect sense doesn't matter, to right? Me for right, all the right.
1: Scene. right, but um, essentially, if that was right, if that was done right, if when he was holding the gun to the guy's head on the ground as he got sucked out, the gun also would have gotten sucked out, you know, yeah. Uh, but that also wouldn't really make sense because, like, no force would have, like, got it into his hand in the first place. You know.
0: am like saying, didn't, um, didn't the protagonist, when he was non-inverted going through that situation uh, the first time, have the gun?
1: Uh, no, no. It was on the floor. Uh, yeah, remember, but like, at the very the end, before,
0: before Robert Pattinson saves him from killing himself, he has it yeah. in his hand and he's pointing it at himself and he's about to shoot himself.
1: Right, and then he gets sucked out of the bottom and he's still holding the gun.
0: Right. Um, so, that's so I why guess I like the to- only way to explain it, uh, even though it might not be in the film, is that the protagonist brought it in himself when he was inverted. That would be the only right, way to right. be able to fix it.
1: Right, um, which we would have to look really closely. I, I really don't think it was because that's something that I was thinking about and um, I didn't see it get sucked out of his hand or anything.
0: Well, sp- you know? speaking about that scene as well, that uh, is a very—I mean—the the fight choreography in that scene. I'm not trying to take away from its spectacularness because they do a lot of very interesting and cool things there. But there is a little bit of cheating that I saw, and yeah, I'm There's all like for There's like one cheating. part that
1: doesn't make sense. Yeah, <laughs> like are you, ta- are you talking about the part where he like uh he um he's like crawling up towards the gun inverted, and he's walking towards him non-inverted, but that doesn't make any sense because then he would be walking backwards. I
0: bookmarked that in my mind as well, but I just put yeah. it up to me not being able to rewatch it and rewind a few million times, you know what I mean? Right, right. To try to make sense of it. But what yeah. I'm specifically talking about was like clever use of the camera. So like when, he's oh, okay. not, when you're watching the protagonist and he's non-inverted going through it the first time, there's a moment that uh, he, he would be, um, he's getting blocked a shit ton. But you don't see that the first time. You just have sort of a close-up, frankly, on our protagonist's face, uh, our non-inverted protagonist, the first time going through. When he's fighting the other way, when he's going through inverted, our protagonist going through the same situation uh, the second time, except inverted, uh, you're getting uh, shots that you didn't get the first time around where he begins to realize what his blow by blow is going to be. And he almost does the matrix thing at the very end of the first matrix movie. He's like blocking. The right. Blows, right. You know? So like there's little things like that where, uh, Nolan saved for the second time through. Uh, and I imagine there's probably going to be similar things for the first time through to highlight the sort of where the protagonist is mentally. And in terms of experiencing, um, fighting someone who's inverted or fighting yourself when you are inverted, uh, yeah. So that's what I mean by a little bit of cheating. But once I give it a thumbs up, like I think cheat as yeah, much yeah. as you can if it works. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think if I wrote this, I would have not written an in, like, inverted fight against someone that's not inverted. Yeah. Because there's so many like ways it can go wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's so complicated to think about, like... It's very hard to think about. Yeah, like how you come in at like opposite ends of a fight. And like, I I feel like the way that I see it is like people are always vulnerable to the people going the other direction.
0: Right? Well, I think that's the number one way to explain it in your mind is to realize that the non-inverted person has dominant flow. So if there is sort of like a difference uh, for whatever reason or if something doesn't act inverted – is yeah. because it's fighting against the, the dominant tide, you know, the dominant current, right, so to right.
1: speak. Um, which is, yeah, which is fine. But uh, that's actually what I was thinking. Like, when they did the whole, like, uh, I was wondering, like, if an inverted person can do the whole thing where they, like, drop, like, a gun and then, like, pull it to them to, like, any non-inverted thing in the world. But I was thinking that maybe they couldn't because... They're not going. They're going against the dominant flow, right? And that's why someone yeah. who's not not inverted can pull an inverted object to them because they're going with the flow, right? Yeah, it's it's a mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But another question that I had is, what do you think happens when like you get shot with a normal bullet while you're inverted? Does it still cause the same thing, or is it really only like because it could just be like the radiation or the inverse radiation or what the – whatever they said. But if it's an actual like physical thing, then I feel like a bullet would ha- have the same effect an-, an inverse bullet would have like the same effect, no matter which uh, way it's going, as long as it's going the opposite way you are.
0: So right? they make it clear that an inverted bullet sucks to be shot by now to be right, shot right. when you are going inverted and being shot by normal bullet, that would mean the bullet would hit you going the other way. So essentially right. being sucked back into the gun. I think that would still suck. I think that would still probably suck, yeah. Yeah, It is interesting, you know, you had to think about that car scene where the car explodes, but technically it just freezes. And it's they sort of use that explanation about how, because you're going against the dominant current when you're inverted, uh, not only is like the reaction reverse, so rather than it getting really hot, it gets really cold, right? Because the molecules are inverted. Um, But it's also the explosion itself wasn't that big because it's going against the dominant flow. Uh, therefore, it's sort of contained to a degree. Um, sure. So I wonder if that would, uh, you know, somehow be applicable to being hit by a bullet going back into its gun. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't,
1: well, yeah, that's, that's what I'm like confused about a little bit, but um, speaking of the car chase though, that is my other Prometheus critique is that it doesn't make any sense that the car's because like i feel like whoever set up the like stunt driving for that was like oh it's an inverted car it's driving backwards right yeah so they're being chased by a car that's going backwards and that's not how it would be at all right cuz if that car was chasing the other car like that would mean that inverted they're driving in front of the car that they're chasing
0: yeah i I believe there was a piece of dialogue relating to to that when when um, protagonist is about to go cowboy, you know, and you have there Aaron Taylor Johnson being like, oh, this is cowboy shit. They give him a rundown on how cars operate, but it was really fast in a couple sentences and they're like somehow friction operates differently.
1: Right, right. Well, like you saw when he like when he started, it was like a sudden like jerk into speeding up instead of like, you know how we gently start and you know move forward not inverted but that's actually not what i was talking about so like you know that car that like pulls up on them and is like flying going backwards
2: Mm -hmm.
1: right what what, what i mean is if that car was chasing them it would have been nose to nose with them yeah right so it would have almost been like they when they were trying to get around it it would have been like in front of them and it would made the same motions they were right and that's what it would have looked like because if they were if they were being chased inverted, right? So, like, let's say you are chasing a non-inverted car while you're inverted, yeah, right. So that car looks like it's that car looks like it's flying backwards, yeah. right? So you would be driving, and your hood would be up to their hood if you were chasing them, right? For yeah. you to be, be like for your cars to be tail to tail, you would literally have to get in front of them and then be in front of them while you're chasing them, yeah. which doesn't make any sense. It's not the whole car chase. Like I think the beginning and the end of it are good. Right. But I there's this part in the middle when the car is literally like chasing them.
0: Right. Yeah, there's a quick moment where they zoom up on the side. Yeah.
1: Not not that part. Like it's it's like literally their back like the back of their cars to the back of sure. the other car. Right. And my, what all I'm saying is that, that moment he would have had to be like the driver of the inverted car would have had to be in front of the um, other car.
0: So you're talking about one specific little sequence of events that took place over what, like five seconds?
1: It was like 10 or 15. It was like it was like a whole moment where like this car, you know, it was at the right at the very beginning, like when it came down. And describe then, like, it in around.
0: absolute detail. Yeah. So it's like absolute detail. Create a beautiful picture in my mind and then describe the movements.
1: Um. So it's like it's like this moment where, um, it, basically, so it's the beginning of the car chase for the people going forward, but it's the end of the car chase for the other guys, right? Sure. So essentially, this is after they saw the car flip over, and then they went to go like turn and uh,
0: the car you know, that Washington's driving while reversed, right? And, right. Inverted? Okay. Um,
1: but then, like, as they as they're like, um, so before that, right? In their car chase, they're like. They saw that and then they're like, you know, they skid to a stop and then they um go blow up Washington's car. Right. Um, but before that, they are like uh side by side with them, right? And there's this moment where in between those two where like they're literally behind them and it it they're like chasing. behind them. How? This
0: is what I mean about being detailed. How are they behind them? Are their cars pointing the same way? Is he directly behind them in the no, same it's, sense, No, it's the same butt the butt,
1: right? So it so technically, butt the in butt front of in them.
0: terms of what?
1: Butt the butt of the cars, right?
0: And so like, their butts are touching on the cars.
1: Almost, yeah. But like in the so forward which, moving we, timeline, in, timeline, like Neil's trying to get away, and it keeps like mimicking his movements, like it's chasing them, right? And I'm, I'm just sitting here I'm like not, I feel like the, that the doesn't make picture any sense.
0: You've, the picture you have painted is not specific enough. So they're literally as if one car is pointing the other way. Let's imagine two cars parked. One car is pointing the other way, and there's another car right behind that car pointing the other way? Yes. As if, like, if you wanted to open up both of the backs of the cars, you wouldn't be able to because they'd be smacking into each other. E-
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay. And yeah. so Neil's whole thing is he's trying – so they're reversing. Essentially – according to let's talk about the protagonist's viewpoint right right um and neil's since they're going flow they're trying to shake them and apparently this car is chasing them is that right correct? well
1: yeah yeah and it keeps like mimicking their movements but it's mimicking
0: them. the movements right okay so it's so, so it feels so, like they're
1: chasing them right so and that's what i mean we is flipped,
0: like if we flipped this would be a towards the end of the car chase for the people going inverted right yes yeah exactly And they're about to go pull over to where Washington is inverted and blow up his car.
2: Right. Uh, right.
0: So there's two. That's what I mean. I I feel like
1: that moment was created by like a person that was like being like, oh, they're being chased by a inverted car so that means the car is going backwards and it's chasing them like this because like if they were going if that was the end of their car chase there's no reason to get in front of their car and mimic their movements before you turn around and like go um uh get george get uh the protagonist Right, because you, ju- it, you that just sort of
0: makes sense, right? Because according to the people that are inverted, they're in front of the car now because the car is going backwards, and so they're trying to cut the movements off that what they perceive Patinson is doing. Why? Because they're still thinking car chase mode, but uh, but they moment.
1: they already saw uh, the protagonist throw the uh, throw the cube away.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. What's another thing that's the thing that I'm trying to point out here, which is boggling me a little bit, is why is the wife in that car? I don't understand that. Um, In the inverted car, because how does that line up with the timeline?
1: Well, that's actually okay because um, he unshot her when he went inverted. Right.
0: No, when he went inverted, he shot her.
1: Cause she wasn't. I don't think she was inverted. No, or is that version of her inverted? Yeah, it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And remember, the bullet so the, came through the other way from the front to the back.
1: Okay, so that makes sense. So that, that version the of her checks. is inverted, right? She yeah, gets, but
0: they have that version of her, and they start to do cowboy shit in order to save her life. Well, so okay. so, the, how so the way that the you car? have to see
1: it is like, it, whenever they go inverted, they're like bouncing off a per- certain point in the timeline. So the whole like inverted side of her was um, or maybe that was the non inverted. No, wait. Hold on.
0: That's what I'm saying is I don't understand that because it cannot be. And you can only have one of you going both ways at the same time. Oh, no, that, that was one.
1: that was the non inverted version of her.
0: Then how that, that's so weird. Did the what the inverted version of him just take the non inverted version of her? I suppose that,
1: yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. And like he put on <laughs> a mask so to make it look fucked. like she
0: was inverted. That is- <laughs> that's so <laughs> fucked. It's such a mind fuck. Anyways, I think, um, we've spent a half hour pretty much just on that alone. And that will probably be cleared up with some rewatching. So before we go forward, yeah.
1: Yeah. The only part of that, that doesn't make sense. And now, now it's actually extremely clear to me and it actually doesn't make sense. Right. Is that after, after they see, um, Washington throw the, throw the, um, the artifact to himself, right. They, they proceed to get in front of the backwards moving, uh, Neil Carr, right? Because they're going against the flow of time, right? Mm-hmm. And then mimic his movements for a little bit before they like pull over and go blow up, uh the inverted protagonist, right? So that's that's what I mean is I feel like that moment was created by a like person, try- like someone on the team who's trying to create a car chase okay. with an inverted car.
0: Right. Well, here's here's my final word on it. Then. Yeah. yeah. Get exactly what you're complaining about now. It's crystal crystal clear to me as well. Yeah. Um uh, we don't know. We might be able to rewatch it and it might be more clear to us. We don't know. That's true. That's true. But um if that is the case, it's actually a rather small thing than what I was initially thinking no, it you totally were trying is. to say. So yeah. <laughs> you know. Um either way. But anyways, but, hopefully that was enjoyable. To yeah, listen th- those to are the for only minutes. two things, right?
1: Those are the only two Prometheus critiques is that weird ass car part mm-hmm. where it's just like they they're not chasing a car because if they were chasing it, it would be nose to nose, right? Yeah. They're they're like literally in front of it, like trying to mimic its movements when they have something yeah. else to be doing. Yeah, they have I totally to doing, see what right? you're saying. And then there's the gun paradox where the gun just appears out of nowhere. Um it literally only exists in that little fraction of timeline.
0: Well, we'll have to see. I think that one is probably going to be explained. Well, I think this one that you're pointing out is probably not going to be explained and just be a little Prometheus thing. Yeah. But we'll have to rewatch and see. see.
1: The thing is, I think it's so hard to understand. Like, to be able to wrap your brain around the inverted versus non-inverted concept, it's so fucking weird. You can't do it. You cannot do it in one watch. There's so many forces at work, too, that you have to, like, try to understand. Like, if everything is working opposite for you, it's just, like, so weird to think about.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's it's um, interesting to think about the simultaneous nature of it as well. That yeah. you know, it's not experiencing like timelines isolated from each other. You know, that's like something that right. you have to really wrap your brain around is it's happening right, simultaneously.
1: Right. So I guess I guess what I would say is that I feel like I feel like Nolan probably would have had a hard time communicating this to a lot of his crew who like had to put things together like car chases, right? Or like fights.
0: I just you know, imagine though that he would be heavily involved in all of that.
1: One hundred percent, which is why I think most of it makes sense. Yeah. You know, but I think there's parts in the fight that don't really make sense, and there's parts in the car chase that don't really make sense.
0: And a thing right. that could happen as well is literally he might just be making choices for emotion in terms of edit, uh, in terms of editing. For sure, that might sure. cut out things that explain more. And right, you know, I think that's the decision. If you're faced with that decision, that's how, what you should do. So one hundred percent.
1: Um, so anyways, uh, something that I wanted to point out that, uh, isn't, it, it's not really for me, critique, it's more of like a question, but I think it's also something that can lead into a potential sequel, mm-hmm. right? Um, because when you think about, when you think about this kind of film, you want to be k- kind of like raising the stakes as far as the mechanics go as the film moves along. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they're gonna have a sequel, I feel like they would be furthering f- like further raising the stakes. They wouldn't just like do the same stuff that they did in the first one.
0: Right. How do you raise the stakes on destroying the world? Here's or destroying the thing. your so I
1: I was a little like confused because I felt like they were like talking about the grandfather paradox, but it's actually something that would be really easy to prove. Um like with the technology that you had at that point, because essentially like they could observe themselves. Right, going through different timelines, so essentially all you would have to do is send one
0: guy back before he's born, or well
1: something. no, 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 like all you have to do is like be in opposite side sides of the room, right, be inverted, right, go in there and then eat a sandwich, right, go out, and then like find your way back to that point in the timeline, and then like don't do it, you know, like stop yourself from doing it, sure, right like. And if you, like, can't do it for any reason, like, if something always stops you, like, that would mean that there's nothing you can do and, like, whatever is, whatever is, is like, faded, essentially.
0: Right. I mean, they right. could just do the grandfather paradox as well and have someone go kill their right. grandfather.
1: But that's, that's not even, like, you don't even need to go that far, right? All you would have to do is, like, test it a little bit and, like, with something that, like, um, essentially you make something happen one way in the timeline. Okay. And then so back here's and the, wrench I, yeah, here's yeah. the thr- wrench I want to throw at you then. Here's the
0: wrench I want to throw you. This is goes back to the simultaneous nature of it that yeah. I just said, because I feel like what you're saying is more, is thinking about it almost linearly through someone's existing life. But sure. all the time that Washington was inverted or not inverted, things were happening simultaneously. So it was never as if he came back and changed by being inverted. What happened? It was always just that way to begin with. So he would not. So you would not be able to double test whether or not you would be able to stop something like that. Why? Because it just happens simultaneously. Is that that's my understanding, right? Because if you imagine. um, Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I mean is like if, if something always happened,
1: right? Like if if there was nothing you could do to change it, that means that the grandfather paradox wouldn't actually be a paradox. It would always mean that everything is. Like simultaneous.
0: Well, yeah, but that's right? what I'm just imagining here is like all of a sudden you're going to eat a sandwich and someone comes up and says, don't eat the sandwich. You still don't know yourself whether or not you ate that sandwich. Ever. Well, like
1: you don't know as the person who initially made that sandwich. Right. But the last version of yourself would be able to tell.
0: But you're about to be that. That, that
1: Well, that's why you yourself. use something that's not <laughs> attached to you. That's not you. Right. You're because what you're doing is you're looking at the state of the sandwich.
0: I also think um, his Nolan throwing in the uh, the thing about uh, obliteration or whatever, where if you interact with yourself in an authentic manner, uh, it just destroys you. Right. Um,
1: Which is which is why, you know, no one wants to do it. But, you know, that's something that you could have done to test.
0: I think. Yeah, I think the sandwich issue was a little iffy uh, myself. But if you just literally did the grandfather paradox and had someone go kill their grandfather um that'd be interesting but once again the question is would they even know it you know the people standing there waiting to see if killing his grandfather you know gets rid of him well wouldn't they at that point then just have experienced it as if he wasn't there
1: right well that that's that's the that's the thing right is
0: I mean, this is why it's a paradox. I don't think you can truly solve well, but it. I think that's no, that's what I'm saying is like
1: we don't know what the answer would be, but I'm saying that there are very clear ways to test it, right? And honestly, like not eating or not eating the sandwich is the same thing as killing your grandfather, right? Well,
0: my point back to that is just saying like you wouldn't be able to trust the data at any point, even if you were able to get the data, because if it's happening simultaneously, it would just be as it is.
1: Well, um, let's say, um, Essentially, like you observe yourself eat the sandwich,
0: right? So you're inverted, right. watching yourself eat the sandwich, right? Yeah. And then you go. So the sandwich is like coming out of your mouth and reattaching. <laughs> so- <laughs> sure. And then, and then, essentially, what you do is you loop back,
1: right? And you stop yourself from eating the sandwich. If you can successfully stop yourself from eating that sandwich, if you are able to, that means it's it's. Um, that means that no matter what happens, like you'll be okay. Right. Because you already saw yourself eat that sandwich. That means you changed something and it didn't, you know, um, blow up the universe. But like, um, if you like, for some reason, can't stop yourself from like, you go into this other place and like, you know, something happens and stops you from being able to like interact with that. Um, that would mean, well, that, I think like, that's
0: why he has the obliteration clause in there. Uh, right. To
1: keep it a paradox. But that's what I'm saying is that, that this might be how, um, how the next film works.
2: Oh,
0: right? examining that paradox. More? It, it,
1: it might be more of, because like the whole thing that, uh, Neil was saying, uh, in kind of, uh, in w- when he was talking about the grandfather paradox, right. Um, Where they were saying, oh, well, like, if you blow up the universe, then it doesn't, uh, sorry, if you uh, kill your own grandfather, it doesn't blow up the universe. Yeah. Right. And his his whole, like, well, what it could be is a multiverse thing. Right. So essentially, like, think about, think about the timeline and then think about the change that you make and turn that into a pivot point. And then suddenly, like, you're on a new path, but only you know what that old path was because you came from a different. Um, set of choices, yeah. right? For everybody else in the universe, you like pivoted on that moment, and that was, um, that was that. This has always been their universe. Like your grandfather has never been alive,
0: right? uh um, Yeah, I mean, if they do the multiverse thing, then it just it completely takes apart the grandfather's paradox in every way. So it right, make right, it an issue at that point whatsoever. So,
1: like, that's, I think, I feel like that's where, like, if they do a sequel, that's essentially where they're going to go.
0: What, the multiverse? you think you'd do the multiverse?
1: Um, it, it's not exactly a multiverse because it's not, like, it, it's not, or, sorry, it is a multiverse, but it's not, like, an Avengers multiverse where they're, like, where they're, like, oh, like, look, this, it's you, but, like, slightly different. No, I you know? get- <laughs> It's you with a beard. It's, like, it, it's, like, whatever butterfly effect that ev- that would, like, spread from that. Is like essentially like instantly happens, and that's now the new timeline that you embody,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, if they um, did that, I think he's going to stick to his rules, though. I would I would assume that because that's 100%. the whole reason why he has the the rule of if you interact with yourself, it will obliterate. Because that sort of reaffirms the, his way he's presenting the grandfather's paradox, which is the right. future thinks that we're going to, you know, they're going to be able to destroy the past,
1: right? Which like. If you prove them right, there's still a like, even if they're right, and even if you can go back and kill your grandfather, which what I the reason why I assume that that's going to be the case in the next film is because like, I don't think Nolan would write a villain that's so dumb that like, they didn't test this. Right. Like, they probably tested it and they know and they know that they're going to be destroying all these people by, you know, reversing the flow of time from where they are. Like, it'll yep. essentially be as if all of these people never existed.
0: Right. Well, they, um, it's, they know they're destroying the people. They just, they're just wondering whether or not that means the end of them.
1: Right. Well, it, it, no matter which theory it is, it would be the end of them. Right. That's why, like, the whole thing becomes about fighting for your generation.
0: Right. So you're telling me that the future generation is going to c- kill themselves? No, the no, 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 no.
1: Um, I'm saying that, like, I'm, I'm saying that I feel like in the second film, um, the protagonist is going to start understanding how like changing
0: things works. Right. And I don't know, there could be, there could, well, we get a little bit of a hint of that at the very end of this movie, right? Where she has, the mother has the cell phone for posterity's sake and she leaves voicemails and she left one where the Indian uh, gun runner is. Yeah. And they're about to kill her. Yeah. yeah. And he shows up right at that moment. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, so he, I mean, that's the sort of end of the movie in general is him realizing that he was making the calls.
1: Right. Right. Um, so that's why. That's why I think it might be. You know, what would be actually really interesting is if uh, Rob Robert Pattinson's character Neil. You know, because obviously, if there's a second movie, that's where he's going to recruit Neil. Right. Yeah. It would be interesting if he was actually like an antagonist in the second movie and through a series of changes in the timeline, he actually ends up being able to make him his friend, you know, through like a, a like series of timeline shifts. Yeah. Um, but like something like that would be really interesting and a total mind fuck. you know?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't think he would do actual multiverse things, though. I think he'll keep you it don't? within his roles. Well, he's already shown that within his roles he has the guy being able to change things. Um, so whether or not we have an explicit multiverse that's like a part of the the plot and the sort of fabric of the story is sort of besides the point, right? Um, I don't know, it depends because like
1: Yeah, it's it's I really feel like bizarre. if Nolan
0: was gonna do a multiverse movie, he would be making a multiverse movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he would do go well, from the ground the thing up. thing is like just this conception like allows that for events. him
1: to happen, right? Um because essentially if you can if you can observe yourself being inverted, um you can you can essentially observe the future, right? And what they have is like a mini time machine that allows them to see into the future. So like if you went um how you would essentially test the grandfather paradox is like say uh say you were uh And this is the problem, is that like it allows for free free will to exist, right? So like when when Sator saw himself shoot his wife, right? And he hasn't shot his wife yet. And he goes and walks through there and he starts, you know, playing through the motions and then like shoots his wife, he's putting on an act, right? Um, to get that same information. But like, what if he just chose not to shoot his wife at that moment? right since he is the version of himself that that got that information from him by shooting like watching his inverted side shoot his wife what happens to him who got that information through that action that never actually happened
0: right well isn't the sort of the idea of inversion is that um Aren't you sort of, isn't it almost sort of saying that you're a little bit of a track? You're like a, you're stuck on a track, a cart.
1: Yeah, but we, but degree. we also have free will, right? So it's like, are are they just being like puppeted when they're inverted? Because I don't think that that's how it works. At least not. in no, I, mind, right? No, but, I get what
0: you're saying. Like, why wouldn't, you know, if you decided not to do that in that room at that moment, Um, wouldn't that have changed things? Right. And well, that's, that's right. what that I mean would have changed things, right. but. His goal was not to change things in that moment. Right. I don't think just because it would have changed things that it it affirms the grandfather's paradox because it's it's up to him what he's doing right then and there. No, 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 because it does
1: affirm the grandfather paradox because him with his intentions in that moment, right, can't exist without knowing the information that he got by shooting his wife. And if he doesn't shoot his wife in that moment, the protagonist doesn't give up that information. Yeah. Right. So how, how could he know that information?
0: What do you mean? Like he was just in the room.
1: I know, but like, but something that like he needed to, uh, shoot his wife in order to get that information. Right. Like inverted, he needed to shoot his wife. So the the past version of himself, right. In his own timeline, right. Mm -hmm. Could get that information. Now, if he chose not to do that, right, if he chose not to give him his the past version of his, himself an observable event that allowed him to um, that allowed him to uh, get to where he is. Right. I would say that, like, the fact that he could observe it in the first place and that wasn't a paradox and that didn't cause obliteration means that, like, the whole multiverse thing exists because he could easily choose not to shoot his wife there right and then if he chose not to shoot his wife he wouldn't have gotten that information and when his past self goes into um goes into that uh room right then you've suddenly yeah. created a paradox because you got to remember you're going inverted here right so like to the inverted version of himself um, but it
0: happens simultaneously. This is the issue. No, I think no, no, you're but, thinking about this linearly in his experience. But
1: his experience, is his linear. inverted
0: version is not by coming out of the inversion machine. He's walking into that warehouse and then shooting, taking off his mask, and then shooting and then going through the other way. You see what I'm saying? No, well, so his timeline is
1: his timeline is linear. Satoris, right? Because he watches himself shoot his wife, right? And then he like gets the information from the protagonist, and then he walks into the inversion machine, right? And then uh, he comes out the other side and is seeing those events play in reverse, right? So then you see the protagonist like giving him the information, right? Which only occurs because he shot his wife, right? So effectively, by not shooting... By by him not shooting his wife, what he would have done was create the grandfather paradox because something that happened because of an event, right? Because when you think about the grandfather paradox, the grandfather is the event that created you, right? In this instance, shooting his wife was the event that created the information, right? Mm-hmm. Now, like – or that – I guess that caused the protagonist to like say that information. Now, if he didn't shoot his wife – Uh, what he effectively did was remove the cause from the information that was there. Right. So like, that's kind of where you could test the grandfather paradox. Right. Is in a moment like that. Right. Which is, I'd still feel like the grandfather's paradox
0: has to be about like existence itself. Um, I get what you're saying. It's an interesting thought.
1: Well, it's um, it's about cause and effect, right? You're going you're going backwards and destroying a cause that creates yeah. an effect, right? So grandfather cause effect you, right? In this instance, shooting the uh shooting the wife affect information. Right? Cause and effect, right? Um Well, this, here's the, the whole the entire sandwich, idea behind the, the algorithm, was, anyways.
0: The whole algorithm idea in the first place is that the forward, the normal flow of time is dominant, and the algorithm has to reverse that actual dominance of the flow of time. So isn't all isn't that right there just solvable, just by understanding that fact of well, there, there's a dominant timeline here, or a dominant flow to the time until you're able to actually reverse that. You're not actually able to uh, understand whether or not or test it exactly because one side has dominance over the other. One side has um preeminence over the cause of things.
1: Here, let's 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 actually let me give you like a uh let, let me give you an instance that you could prove with existence, right? So let's say um let's say that uh like tenant had a chip, a chip inside of his head. Sorry, the protagonist had a chip inside of his head that had information that Sator needed. Right? Yeah. Um so, what he does is he uh his you know he goes into that room and there's an inverted side of him. There's no glass, right yeah, and the inverted side of him shoots tenant in the head and then retrieves the chip right mm-hmm. um or shoots tenant in the head, so the non inverted side of him can retrieve the chip and walk into the room. so now you're in the room, you have the chip, right. That came from shooting tenant in the head and retrieving it, right? Yeah and you're inverted and you choose not to shoot tenant in the head. right? How do you still have
3: that chip? You see what I mean?
0: I just feel like the simultaneous part of this is what I'm still getting hung up on because.
1: Well, but that's what I'm saying is that like, while it's simultaneous, the inverted side of you still, he
0: can't even shoot him in the head. He has to retrieve a bullet.
1: Yeah. So let's say that there was a inverted bullet in the wall tenant gets, or sorry, the protagonist gets put down there and the bullet comes through, blows through his head. Right. The other version of himself comes out and grabs the chip, right. Goes through the thing and then decides not to shoot right like in that instance you've created the grandfather paradox because what you've because by being able to observe what happens in your future you have the option to change it right after you've already observed it like let's say let's say this right easier one neil is watching himself at the end go into the inversion machine right inverted right actually that would be that would be one that you couldn't really change right, no no actually it yeah i don't
3: know it's well, hard though
0: because in that moment he is he is acting simultaneously and that's the huge issue is like when we're seeing him our our villain go through and shoot his wife, or retrieve the inverted bullet through her. Uh, we see that from his side of the glass, but yeah, we're not I, guess necessarily, it, I guess we're not right. necessarily seeing it linearly. We're, you know what I mean, with him. Like we're just seeing well, actually, him.
1: No, okay. So here's the here's the problem. Isn't it's because like, if you make a choice on the dominance flow of time, and obviously, like you'll see it happen. Like if you're standing in front of the inversion machine and you choose not to go in. Right. That's. um, That's a moment where like, you know, you're the dominant timeline.
0: So whatever you choose is going to happen. Right. Well, hold on. Let me, can I say one thing real fast? Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's what I'm still completely hung up on. And what your thing doesn't explain to me is that inverted version that retrieves the bullet through his wife. He walks in to the warehouse let's call it yeah he takes off his mask he retrieves the bullet he walks out into the inverted machine and back into that other timeline it happens in a simultaneous nature so when we see him right on our protagonist side and he's translating over the speaker hiding in the back corner you don't see him until the very end and then he runs through when the cavalry breaks through the door and goes through the inversion machine uh we may pop over that side of glass and Nolan may be filming him, but I don't think that he's linearly doing um what you're describing. Uh I think we're just sort of witnessing the other side of the glass just to have a better idea no, of w- how inversion is works. he's
1: he's like reciting a script, essentially, right? He's he's going back through and putting on an act. He's saying all the lines um in opposite order, right? To make it to make tenant give him, sorry to make the protagonist give him that information, right? So he's like, go through, say the last thing that I said, shoot the wife. Count instead of three, two, one, I'm going to say one, two, three. I'm going to put the gun away. You know, um, I'm going to grab this non-inverted version of my wife and walk out the um walk out of the warehouse with her, and then go use her as bait for um for the protagonist that's forward moving. Um,
0: right. See, that's not, that's not, I, I don't, I still don't think about it in those terms. I'm trying to even think about the initial art museum or art tax haven heist. And okay. you have, um, Robert Pattinson and protagonist initially fighting himself. And it happens simultaneously, right? Because he goes, he, he, he's in one way inverted. Right. No, he's the I other understand. Way normal. But- so he's not making the decision about how to fight Robert Pattinson a certain way because, you know, he was around, got you know, a court, you know, because he's those two people at once. But one is going forward. He's there's two versions of him right there immediately going forward, correctly with the flow of time. Yeah, and then there's one version of him uh, that's inverted, uh, and he's going backwards.
1: Yeah. So my my whole point is that like while you are inverted, like one is going like opposite the flow of time, right? So they're seeing effect then cause, right? And if you are the cause of an effect and you see the effect happen, right? And you choose not to do the cause, right? You are essentially creating the grandfather paradox. Right, at like a smaller. That's my that's
0: my issue is right It's like that what you're saying about choosing not to do the cause? That's what I'm still wrapping my mind around because I'm not sure so far uh, that that makes sense to me. Well, of course, in terms of how I'm experiencing, but like, but no, just even in terms of how it's set up in the film, in terms of experiencing how people are uh, interacting with inversion. Well, especially the easiest way to explain
1: it is the whole wife thing. So just just follow Sator's. Uh, timeline through that because like even when you're going reversed you're still your consciousness is still going forward in perspective to you right so like Mm -hmm. when you are going with the dominant flow of time right let's say like let's say that like the choice that he made was on while before he got in the machine let's say he didn't he chose not to get in the machine right he wouldn't see himself coming in like when he walked into the room like he wouldn't have been there right because there was he never got into the machine but the fact that he was there means that he's going to get into the machine right um and there's nothing that you can do to like change that you know um like if you stop in front of the machine for a long time you go like to paris for a week and come back you'll just see yourself get in then because it's like a mirror to you right um But, like, let's say you get in the machine and then you've already seen all this stuff happen and you come out of the machine, right? Now you're inverted, right? Now you're seeing um, the effect and then you're seeing the cause, right? Now, the problem with that scene is that there's – I mean, this isn't really a problem with the the scene. But, like, there's a point in there where you can – where he is the cause that creates an effect, right? So he sees – The protagonist give him the information and then he has to say he has to shoot his wife and go like one, two, three. Right. So to him, it sounds like he went three, two, one, bang. Right. So and that's what caused the protagonist to give up that information. But what if but since he is forward moving in this backward moving area and his consciousness is going forward to his own perspective, he could effectively just choose not to shoot his wife. Right. And then like what what you would, would have essentially done is create the grandfather paradox in that moment. Right. Because you've already experienced an event. You acquired information from event that an event that you've seen that your future self caused. Right. And by being able to observe an event that your future self caused, you could effectively not do that and then see what happens.
0: Okay. Okay, but what's the point of this though because we already know that the bad guys believe that they can do this and that they'll be fine. Right. Well, that's um, that's what
1: I mean is that that's why I feel like it's not a this sorry, is not a Prometheus. I
4: not
1: understand. What was that? What was that? Uh I don't, I don't know what that was. Oh, was that Craig? No, well, maybe it was Craig. <laughs> um anyway, sorry. Uh so essentially this is this would be a Prometheus critique, but I actually don't think it is. I actually think we're tapping into what Nolan's going to make the second movie about. Right. And well, isn't it
0: what he made this movie about? I mean, no, no, it...
1: because no one ever, no one ever, um, no one ever changed but they wanted to. that they saw, but
0: right? they wanted to, like he was going to the, the very villain that we're focusing on who decided to go through with the steps in order to get the information was going to be the catalyst to initiate the grandfather paradox in the first place. Right. Right. So, which is
1: why I think it's not actually going to be a paradox and you can actually change it. And what it's, it's not because like what, uh, what, uh, what's his name? The protagonist was saying in the uh, crate while there was they were while they were being taken to, um, oh, what was it? Oslo. I can't remember. Um, but they were being taken to the, uh, to go fight his inverted self, the art, um, yeah, at the Freeport right but the whole thing was he was saying that like hey since we are moving forward right now doesn't that mean we've won right and he said i would like to think so but you know you there's no way to know like um with kind of like a i I forget what his exact words were but essentially what he was describing was this idea that like you could be on a track that eventually shifts into another like another timeline yeah right um so there's no way to know how you like perceive how, like, if there's like, if there are multiple universes or multiple possibilities and like infinite universes based on every possibility and every change you can make, there's no way to understand how you would
0: perceive that. Right. Yeah. You um, just probably perceive it linearly. as if it's Exactly. So that, that's
1: the whole point, right? Is it, if you do perceive it linearly, there's no way to tell if they've won yet right
0: yeah i mean that's interesting Um, i don't think uh it's a for sure thing that that's what no one's going to make a sequel about right right?
1: well i feel like Um, the the problem is i feel like if it's not
0: i feel like he already did
1: that's um by allowing the characters to observe to be able to observe themselves um inverted like uh it creates a bit of a it's a prometheus critique but it's actually not really a prometheus critique it's like a critique of the entire uh plot because it would have been extremely easy to test this out right because all you would have had to it, well, do was then uh,
0: maybe they did you know what i mean that's right that's what i mean robert pattinson like, says you know they it doesn't matter what we believe they believe you can that you can reverse the flow of time and it's going to be fine for them right right Not for us which is why i think that
1: this is what the second one's going to be because one i don't think nolan writes dumb villains Right, I think Nolan writes brilliant villains. So these yeah, villains, and that's why he went through have, with it. Right, and these villains would have absolutely like tested something like this before, um, yeah, before like pulling off this plan that could essentially potentially destroy. Well, yeah, the I mean universe.
0: that's what right? that's what the movie says. Right, essentially, is they believe that you can, and you're right. right. You know, Nolan doesn't write so dumb people. Right. in general. Right, What's right. So what that
1: means movie? is that. Um, that it is possible to change, uh, to change events, right? So if you, like he actually even brings it up at the end where he says like, "Well, is it, is is it is possible it, is, to that's change?" That's my it?
0: issue though with you, what you're saying though, because changing events versus just uh, being able to reverse your flow of the time, and even though it might destroy the past, you're still moving forward. Does that necessarily mm-hmm. that changes events in the sense that the past didn't happen, but for you the past did happen? Exactly, you know? right. But
1: that's what I mean is that you're you're essentially creating an alternate universe, right? But and does that have to be the uh, whole
0: understood as an alternate universe? Can it just be understood actually I think in a is. sense linearly?
1: Well, it, I think it is. That's why I mean, like, it, it's essentially what you're doing is you're creating a pivot point around what you change,
0: right? Where, like, yeah, but it doesn't. It's not as if two lines split off at that point. That's what I'm thinking. To me it's as if a line just loops back, takes a U-turn, comes back over itself in a different color. Well, I mean, you, you know? can
1: you can visualize it any way you want, but essentially what you're doing is you're like since you have so if, if what you were actually the way that you're visualizing if that was right, you would essentially like forget uh what happened with the other universe. Right? With the other timeline, I should say. Right? You would essentially completely forget that because uh, there's no way that you could possibly understand that information. So by you being in this universe, and that's what I—that's kind of what I mean—is that that would create a paradox because you've essentially um, what you've Wait, done. So if
0: you would forget, then then how come, unless I unless I'm missing something very obvious here, which is completely a possibility, um, how come people that are inverted don't forget things? Uh well you know. they might. <laughs> we don't we don't know, right? But um but Well that's the thing is they might. Essentially so for it to not be a paradox,
1: for it to not be a paradox and for you to main like stay in the same timeline, you would essentially have to forget it because like you as a person can't exist like having come from that universe, like that uh created that like Basically, you are an outcome of everything that happened to you. If you change all the things that happened to you, how can you exist, right? That's the whole grandfather But you're paradox.
0: just redescribing the paradox, right? So right? That's what
1: I mean is that's why, that's why it would make sense that it's an alternate universe. So if it pivots and now like you're in this new universe because now like everything that you've changed, right, affects – sorry, the one thing that you've changed affects everything. And like nobody in this new place will know the old place that you came from. Because only you Okay, so that.
0: what you're saying is a possibility. I'll grant you that, absolutely. Like, that's a possibility in terms of something that could happen. But what the film is essentially presenting is the idea that I described, which is that they're reversing the flow of time, and not that they're going to be in a different multiverse. The The problem they're crunching in their heads is if we can reverse the flow of time, will we be fine? Uh, not, well, are we going to be fine by jumping into a multiverse? Because they're essentially... Grappling with the idea of destroying the past in order so that they may go forward. Actually,
1: I think they even bring. I think Robert Pattinson's character even says it. I think he calls it alternate realities, right? So he says there, there's no way to understand how the our like uh, conscious minds would
0: be able to perceive of alternate realities. Okay, right? but the issue then is why are they fighting? You know, like to if save they're themselves. just going to split off in a multiverse, exactly. But if they're just going to split off in a multiverse then they're still on their branch of a multiverse. That's fine.
1: Yeah, but theirs would effectively end when that choice was made.
0: How so if they're in a multiverse?
1: Um, well, because that's what I'm saying is it's not it's it not ends a, if
0: the flow of time reverses on them. Well, that's what I'm saying is not, it's not if the future a, just branches off into a multiverse.
1: Well, you're, you're thinking of it in like in like Avengers multiverse, right? I'm, I'm saying that's why I think that the pivot point's really important. Right. So essentially like think of a straight line and think of a moment that you change and like tilt uh, the line after that moment in a different direction. Yeah. Right. Um, so um, I think you're right about the loop. Right. But essentially what you're doing is looping back and then after that you're tilting it. Um, midway. So the, like the part where you came from before that loop happened doesn't exist anymore.
0: Okay. So then right. it doesn't matter because essentially, even if they are creating a multiverse, what they're doing is reversing time and still destroying the past anyways. So even if that means that they technically destroyed that verse, really the only remnant of our verse is still their verse, which is going well, the way now it is going.
1: The the reason that reversing the the overall flow of time would matter to them is because like they like, they essentially like only exist because time flows in their direction. If everything started flowing the other direction, like they wouldn't make sense at all. Right. So like going back and changing something and then like destroying, destroying a reality that like is still moving forward. Wouldn't like destroy everything in existence. Right. But if you start going back over the line in the opposite direction, it would.
0: Right. Even at one point, it would destroy it at that point.
1: Um, so that's what, um, I think that's kind of what the whole protagonist point was, was saying like, Hey, do we like, because we're here, we should win. Right. And basically he's describing what you are, right. Which is that everything is part of the same timeline. Right. So therefore, if the time, the flow of time hasn't been reversed, they've won or is that we, we, we've already won. Essentially, we just have to, you know, play through the actions and Robert Pattinson says, you know i would like to believe so right but there's no uh, there's no way to understand how the conscious mind grapples with ultimate realities
0: right okay well here's the thing then like i we've sort of set our piece on each of these uh interpretations of how the flow works and how the bad guys what their wind condition is and how they envision their wind condition um what i feel like though that nolan sort of grapples uh with that that mystery at the end, though, by saying with it, through Robert Pan's character that what it is is you have faith um that your actions are going to amount to something and that you are going to win uh and that you have faith in your ignorance as well rather than having some solution um and that also um this is contrasted with despair in the film, which is the opposite of having faith sure uh with our with our villain who, you know, is not even going to live himself, knows he brought his his kid into a world, a reality, that's going to be destroyed um, due to his very actions. So then to say that actually a lot of this is amounting to what's going to happen in the second film, which is, you know, a sort of this interpretation, this what you've explained to me of a multiverse, seems to undercut uh, a little bit. Of that, frankly, in my opinion. Well, I,
1: I don't think that you're getting the uh, the insight, like, right on the
0: head, though. So I don't think it's undercutting it. Well, um, I didn't call that the insight. I said that's something that the film was talking about.
1: Right, right. But I don't think, like, I, I personally, I feel like maybe only Robert Pattinson. But this is my, like, little conspiracy nugget. I feel like only Robert Pattinson's character understands what's really going on. Like, I think he really does know the answer to that question. That the protagonist asked him in the crate, but he didn't give it to him, right? Because he can't give it to him yet, right? Because uh, basically, effectively, if he gave it to him, right, what he would be doing is he would be... uh, Ignorance is their weapon. Right. So that's kind of like... That's kind of the excuse that he gives, but it's also not their weapon, right? Knowledge is also very much their weapon. Like, um, I, I watched this. Yeah, but Fred they, time, expli- they and it explicitly. It is his say. character that's in the opera house at the beginning, right? Yeah, no, it is. Um, I saw that too. So his character's going through this timeline and he, he effectively changes something with knowledge of what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so essentially, what I think is that. Um, is that the second film is going to be about changing timelines,
0: right? Well, this film itself is about changing timelines. No, no, this not, film, that's this my film point. is
1: completely about staying on the track,
0: right? Like everything. Well, why is he saver at the end then? And how, you know, and they, they save the future from being able to do what they're doing on their track. Well, but you don't, you don't have an
1: answer to whether they, like, since they won, right, you don't have an answer because, like, basically what the protagonist said in the crate was like, hey, because, like, time hasn't reversed that means we've already won right um and like we don't have an answer to that question at the end because they won right literally no my worry is that a multiverse
0: would be defeating to the the mission of it then because it's essentially saying that the villains can win and there's really no issue you know like their their fight really didn't amount to much because at some point they just diverted into two separate directions
1: okay so i I think maybe what you're getting hung hung up on is multiverse and like when we think about multiverse what we think about is a bunch of like layered lines and like they're all moving in the same direction and things are different in them right yeah um that's why i think that's the image that you're getting stuck up on now like i basically want you to imagine like a tangled mess of timelines that are all connected to each other right okay that's more what I'm talking about, right? And that that's essentially more what it would be like. The, the multiverse theory that, like, Hollywood presents us with is a dumbed-down version of an alternate reality that really doesn't make sense and is gimmicky, right? And that's what I mean sure. is that, like, we're not dealing with Captain America that has a beard in this universe, right? Yeah, it, it's I'm all, not imagining that. It's all cause and effect, right? So, like, it's all cause and effect. So, essentially, by... Like reversing the flow of time, you can change things because your consciousness is going backwards, right? So what you're seeing is effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, right? The people that are going forward are seeing cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, unless they're dealing with something that's inverted, right? Which they can control because they're not inverted, right? Mm -hmm. But when you are inverted, essentially you are seeing effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, right? And if you are the cause to an effect, the cause, the effect comes before the cause, which allows, and since your consciousness is going like essentially backwards through the timeline, you have the choice, as long as you have free will, to not implement that cause, even when you've seen the effect, right? So like, that's the problem, right? That's why, that's why you totally have the ability to change things, right? Right? Because your consciousness is still moving how forward does, in a time that's moving point,
0: backwards. How does this point interact, though? That what they're doing in the future is setting up the algorithm, which disturbs the flow of time. So hold
1: on, let's let's we'll get to the flow of time in a second. But first, I want to talk about like just changing something,
0: right? Sure, but that interacts with the okay. So what you're saying essentially because that's more with complex the multiverse, right? Sure, um, but what we're what someone's feeling then essentially, you can make the argument that. All these little different webs of multiverses are spanning out because he's able to change things. Therefore, at the very end of this movie, when he saved her from getting killed by the Indian arms dealer, that was essentially a little new web string of a multiverse. Um, if she was supposed to die. Alluded but to the fact, it's right. alluded to the fact that he changed that. Um, well, see, that that's so,
1: actually an interesting point because he not necessarily because she left the message. So by, see, by leaving that message, that could have always happened. Right. However, if she had died and he came back, right, and changed it, that would absolutely point towards that. So, like right now, all we have is we don't know anything about the grandfather. He was in the car
0: while she was leaving the message, so that must be essentially how it happens.
1: Um. Well, well, that message got passed into the future, right? That means that, like, somehow he got a hold of that information, right, in the future, and was able to be there at that moment to um stop how so anything, why right?
0: did it get past in the future
1: th- they they know? talk about that how like everything is communicating into the future like anything that's permanent right every text message every email every strand of data is us Yeah but communicating they're technically the at
0: the end there at the same timeline so why couldn't he just be somewhere else in the world and get that message and then use the inversion machines in order to fix that situation No he could but
1: like um that's that's what I mean is that we don't know if he changed anything there right because he had an ability to like Receive data and be there when it happened,
0: right, so oh by just by just inverting, yeah, yeah, exactly in the future, but right. technically, at that well, yeah, for his timeline, yeah, then she was never dead, um, right, but she would have been actually, because if he was inverted or if he was going forward or whatever, and he got the message, she would have been dead at that point,
1: no because because at, because you gotta think about it simultaneously too, so like. Essentially, him going back and forward, there can be like oh, right. in any infinite number of him so existing he, yeah. in the
0: world. Right. Sure. So I see, I see exactly what you're saying the simultaneous yeah. nature, but yeah, perfect. Right. That completely solves right. it. Right.
1: Now, here's, here's the other thing, right? Because you can go inverted, you can change something. This is kind of what I want to get to, right? Is that when you change something, one, we have no idea what that would look like, right? Because viewing a effect and then removing its cause is super fucking weird, right? And that's the whole idea of the grandfather paradox, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially what I think the second one is going to be is about intention, right? And essentially the second you step out of that um step out of that machine, whatever your intention is is the new alternate universe that's been like a branch that you've entered into right and that branch has always existed and it will always exist and it exists um essentially like differently from the other one right so imagine the timeline being a, instead of like a straight line like an intricate web moving towards the center rather than um uh, rather than like a straight line that you're loop, looping back on right so yeah. you're able to like you're able to like shift timelines and do things in those timelines and then maybe like get back into other timelines by essentially having a different intention when you enter into a new
0: area. I think right. that's interesting, man. Um, and I think what you're saying lines up a lot with this, but I also feel like you're sort of writing your own movie right just, now. I'm sort of just hoping. Well, I just feel <laughs> like that it might be based the on,
1: <laughs> well, based on the clues that he gave us, right? Because one, they talk about that too. That's literally the villain's plan.
0: Right. Yeah, but they also talk about Robert Pence at The very end says this is one phase of a of a big. You came up with the pincer movement strategy of the inverted pincer movement strategy. Right. Exactly. And this is one side of it.
1: And so how do you how do you like one up the pincer the inverted pincer movement? Right. And that's what I mean is I think that that's where they're going to go is where it's going to turn into like fucking four D chess, right? Where it instead of just being a pincer movement on one timeline, it's going to have to be like essentially gathering resources from different timelines and trying to like shift the entire puzzle to be in your favor
0: okay but explain to me this this problem then with your your theory multiverse then what's the what is he fighting for uh how is his um timeline that he's fighting for his generation so to speak in danger right uh, so that's that's what i mean is
1: that like while you're changing everything, everything's always moving towards the center, right? If you yeah. imagine the whole spider web thing, yeah. right, The difference is that when when you invert the entire like flow of time, everything starts moving the other direction. So essentially, like that whole idea of the alternate route reality gets shifted on its head, and every single alternate reality ends up moving backwards,
0: right. So, okay, so essentially what you think about for just a standard single timeline, but everything at once. Right, exactly. Um, and it gets destroyed in the way that it's sort of just made clear in the movie.
1: Right, well, and that, that's why I think that it's, that it's important that they stop that from happening. Because it's not as... Because, like, when you change something... Um, it's kind of like, remember when they said, like, we use the enemy's weapons against them? You know, fighting fire with fire, right? Mm-hmm. So in this one, it's all about, like, you know, being inverted, right? You go inverted to fight like the inverted people in the future. Right. Yeah. Um, that makes sense right now. Like they're trying to change the overall pa- like flow of time. So you change small things. You use that weapon to fight them. Right. Yeah. And like, that's what they might be. um, Like, that's what they might be trying to uh, uh, change effectively. Right. And I think that's what, is interesting about this film because this film is on a track, right? Moving forward and backwards, everything that happened in this film has always existed. Right. Yeah. If they do do a, if they do actually have a sequel, having a whole, like, you know, everything, um, like everything is on a single track like that, but then you can like change the track. Yeah. Right. That would effectively create a, a new war zone. Right. Yeah. Between the people,
0: the inverted people in the future and, you know, tenant. Right. Um, How would you individually, though, uh, transport yourself through the different multiverses?
1: Um, well, that's, that, that's what I'm saying is that when you when you go inverted, you have a different intention. Right. So, so
0: literally, it sort of just comes down to a character thing that you pull off. on the
1: which, which is why I feel intention. like that's totally up Nolan's alley. Right. Um, sure. But
0: there's no, you have, a. am not doing this to break it down, but I just want to really make sure you have like this really logical explanation for this entire theory. Yeah. And then it, I know this sounds mean, but I'm not, I don't mean it in a mean way, but it comes down to literally um, sort of explaining it in sort of an emotional way about having the character, having an intention in order to transport between the different multi. Yeah, exactly.
1: So l- I, let me just use the whole okay. like wife uh, shooting part as the example. Right. So like, yeah, what doesn't make sense is that like, um, you know, Sator would be going through that moment, and then he sees, you know, he sees his wife bloody on the ground, right? Yeah. And then he sees uh, the protagonist over there giving up the information all in reverse, right? Yeah, he could easily just be like, I'm not gonna pull the trigger, I'm not gonna catch this
0: bullet through this gun. Okay, you okay. pause, right? pause, yeah, pause. Uh, how does he say he did that? How does he now get back to the multiverse? That he just left.
1: So this this is this is what I'm saying, right? Is that like um, essentially that wouldn't happen,
0: right? So if, he, if he he's stuck going forward in his own perspective. If from he different was going to multiverse. decide,
1: if he was going to decide that he wasn't going to shoot, um, shoot his uh, wife in that moment, yeah, he would effectively enter into a new scene, right? Um, so like that, that's, what's bizarre to me. Right. Is, is that that's the only way that it could happen. Right. Because his intentions would affect that timeline.
0: Right. And so you're saying if he inverted himself and then like, and if he was like, I'm not going to my wife. Yeah. Right. But could he get back to the timeline where he decides to shoot his wife?
1: Probably not in the same form that he was but maybe like he would have to reconstruct he would have because well actually yes because essentially think of it like this is like the past is a single line and the future is a spray of lines no matter where you are
0: right in your experience of it yeah
1: right so you would essentially have to like um honestly it wouldn't really matter if your goal is to stop the bad guys in the future
0: right um because yeah, I mean, for our protagonist. But I'm just sort of wondering because I like the whole logic of this argument that you're constructing, uh, essentially exploring the Grand Grandfather's Paradox and the interesting places that could take sequels. And this is very interesting, especially tying it with intention. Right. And you're right; Nolan would be the perfect person to do that, sort of what he did in Inception or Right, Right. Interstellar is sort of tying these right um, now highly scientific concepts with yeah, human yeah, emotion. Yeah. But. Um. Well, I just my 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 major thing with it is, sorry, just yawned right there. <laughs> um, is like how would you get back? So if you're playing forty chess, you're just moving forward into your spray of lines. Yeah, yeah. Aren't you sort of? Aren't you doing the exact thing that he's not supposed to be doing? The protagonist, which no, is sort no, of no. So his own generation. So no, so
1: so essentially, think of it like this, right? Is that right now? Time time is like a. Like, whenever you're in the past, it's a single line, right? That's how you can know what timeline you're in effectively, right? And then any, like, everything in the future is a, a spray of choices. So, like, imagine, like, a single line going to the present, right? And then spraying out into it, like, a trillion lines that move yeah, forward. Yeah, see that. Right? Now, if you reverse the flow of time, think of a straight line coming from the future, overwriting everything and shooting a spray of lines into the past. right so that's essentially what i think they're trying to stop is from like literally every single reality um being overwritten right by the flow of time being reversed right
0: but so essentially the same thing that if you were just looking at it on a one timeline thing but for 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 like
1: literally the entire thing right but like so yeah Essentially, like... It, it, th- so that's what, why this it's would all, be fun
0: for like a mechanic point of view. Right, right. In terms of... But that's why it's all it, relative because present
1: it. the present is only based on you, right? Yeah. So behind you is always a straight line, but in front of you is always a spray of trillions of possibilities, right? But mm-hmm. the difference is you can... If you're able to view the... Um, basically, if you're able to view the effect before the cause, you would essentially be able to shift your timeline. This is interesting, you know, and like you would be able to go into like a different one, even though like what you remember is, um, what you remember is like, um, comes from a different stem. Okay, right. Well, it's really weird. It's really fucking weird. I think, you've, like, I think
0: you've explained it.
1: I feel like that's the only way that they can make a sequel. Like, if they make a sequel and it kind of adheres to these rules. Essentially what they've done is they've created a massive plot hole in this film because like since you your consciousness is going backwards, you do have the ability to change things. Right. Yeah. So why didn't why didn't anyone ever do that? Right. And like if they if they like literally can't, then they're they don't have free will, then they're like literally a puppet while they're going inverse. Right. Which doesn't really make any sense, right? Um yeah, it's interesting. But that's why the like that was my final like Prometheus critique and air quotes Prometheus critique just because that one's like I feel like that one's a criticism of this one, but it's actually just playing on the clues seeing where the next one's actually going to go.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, it is interesting to think about that. To think about uh how that lines up and having the choice of making things different. Yeah,
1: but what I wonder is like if the, in the second one, the whole thing is going to be tenant, but like, you know, because he's, he's the one figuring out how tenant works at this point. Right. So in the next one, it's not really going to be, Oh, we're, we're like a puppet in this machine. The next one's going to be, we're following the puppet master. Unless Robert Pat, unless Neil's the main character of the next one, which I could see as well. Um, but, uh, That would be really interesting if like Neil was the main character of the next one. And like you basically get to see the protagonist from the earlier film die at the end of that film. But it's actually like the beginning of Neil. You know, so like the both movies are inversed from each other.
0: Yeah, that'd be very cool. That'd be very cool. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. Personally, that scene where he shoots his wife, I'm still not convinced. (laughs) (laughs) But we have to leave it there. Let's talk about the sequel, because one thing we did want to talk about was the probability of a sequel because of the box office. Yeah. So we wanted to look at the box office. And domestically, this movie is not done well. And that could be it's really hard to say exactly why. I don't think the movie flapped with audiences. I think a lot of it does have to do with COVID, frankly. Yeah. Um, 100%. It has done really well internationally. Uh, it's got about 240 million dollars internationally. It'll probably make it over 300, maybe even over 400, because not all the international markets are open at the same time because of COVID. Yeah. Now, IMDB says it has a budget of 205 million. Estimated, yeah. That probably doesn't include marketing. Now, here's a movie math trick, a movie math trick to absolutely know if a movie has made money. Is you double its budget. Then if it's made double or more of its budget, you can pretty much confidently know that it's made money. That doesn't mean that if it's made less than double its budget, it hasn't made money. You right. just don't right. know because you don't know the marketing, you don't know the ticket share of that particular movie or with that particular studio yeah. studio and but. what ticket share they have, which are the exhibitors and so on and so forth. Right. Um, so that said, technically it has around an $80 million profit um on paper the estimated so rate.
1: but the other thing is um you know uh when it, it's technically considered a flop right now but i wonder if their deal with the theaters is different than it's been in the past you know because like let, let's say uh because remember I mean, they
0: already get a shit ton of money is the thing
1: right right but remember with the old uh, with the old pre COVID deals, it was like really the first weekend, the first two weekends where the movie was making big money. And then in like slowly and surely it switches over to the theaters making money because essentially how it works, if you guys don't know is or, or worked before is that, um, as time progressed, the theater took a bigger percentage of the ticket as their revenue.
0: Um, yeah, as time progresses with the movie, right. Out. So in terms of that, the timeline of relationships, they used to do a 50, 50 split studio and, uh, Right, right, exhibitor, um, but now it's upfront. Maybe the first month, the studio has the higher percentage of the ticket sale, and as that month, as time goes on, the exhibitor's percentage increases. Right. What
1: so what I what I wonder is that, like, because obviously all the all the newspapers and tabloids that have been doing this for years are going to look at Tenant and be like, "Wow, that flopped," right? Because they're used mm-hmm. to seeing that number two weeks out and being like, well, they didn't make money too bad, right? But really what that yeah. depends on is the deal that they made with the theater, right? If it's the same, if it's the same deal as before, then yes, it flopped, right? They're not going to make shit off tenant, right? Mm-hmm. But um, if the theater is getting a smaller percentage of that uh, box office income, and it the that percentage increases slower over time because you know they took uh covid into consideration right so let's say instead of like i don't I don't know what it was before but let's say it was 5% 5% extra a week right for the theater let's say they made it yep. 1% right if that's the case um like if it maybe 2% but if it only increases by like 2% a week it's going to they're going to have a lot more time to actually make their money back on the film. You know, yeah. um, which I'm gonna guess is the case just because there's not a lot of movies in theaters. There's not really any sign that tenants leading theaters anytime soon.
0: No, they right? made a deal. They're gonna be in theaters a while, and tenant's performance has scared off bigger movies from releasing. So it's pretty much the dominant dog, right?
1: now. Right. So, like, you know, people are gonna be going to the movies in smaller groups, but like you know, essentially like take out that box office weekend and extend it out like four or five weeks, because that's really what the new deal would imply. If they were getting a small, if the theater was taking a smaller cut than uh, they were pre COVID. Right. Sure. Um, so that's, that's all I mean is like, you know, back, back before this, like uh, uh current era, you know, back in like the seventies and the sixties uh, movies would run for years, you know? And sometimes internationally yeah yeah sometimes like it would get a resurgence like two years in because people would like watch it at first there wouldn't really be any buzz around it but then like word of mouth would get around and people would be like oh shit let's go see this movie it's still in theaters right and suddenly you'd see a huge spike in uh viewings for a movie like a year down the road right and the reason that that doesn't happen anymore is just because you know the move the the uh Producers pull the movie from the theaters because they're essentially like not making money off of it anymore, yeah right and um well the or, budget or the, the theaters, budget strategies are different as well, yeah, or the theaters aren't make, making enough money off of it, so they replace the uh they replace the film with something that's going to make more money yeah, right um but that's all I mean is that like while everyone's calling this a flop. I think it's a little too early to call it a flop and we don't really know what the deal with the theater is.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's a complete gray zone to call it a flop or success is completely not the right thing to do right now because yeah, you look at the domestic number and you might want, you would want to say a flop, but if you look at the international number, it's actually doing pretty good. And so what you have to do is you sort of have to sit here and in a month's time, I think we'll have a better idea, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, of exactly. what it's going to be. Um, Because there's still probably international markets that's going to open up in. And we will see if it gets, uh, you know, a second wind because it is going to stay longer in theaters than normally. Um, That said, I will say it does have a little bit of a hill with its budget. You know, I would say, you know, in order to know for sure that it made a profit, I would say you got to say 410 million. So it's got about 130 million to go, um, which is not insane. Yeah. And that's for sure. And the likelihood is it doesn't have to make that double. So, like, if you if it hits three fifty, you could probably say um, that it did okay. Now, is that what studios want with a Nolan movie, with a tentpole movie? No, they want the billion dollar movie like Nolan gives them all the time. Yeah. But nonetheless, with COVID, I would call it a fucking success.
1: I mean, so. that's the thing is like, don't like hold your breath a little bit though, because it could get there. <laughs> you know, like uh, because. The, re- the reason why, you know, movies don't really get much after, like, six weeks is because they're usually pulled from theaters, right? Yeah. Like, we're not really in that situation right now. Like, you know, people didn't go out to see Tenant in droves. There's still a shit ton of people who haven't seen Tenant, right? Yeah. And –
0: I mean, that's what it has going for it is the fact that it's still in theaters.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> And if it does have like a resurgence, like six months in, because this is, this is honestly kind of a, a weird, I don't
0: think it's going to be in theaters in six months, bro.
1: Well, it might be, you don't know. That's what I'm saying is that like, if, if their deal changed and if it like is the only movie in theaters four months out and then like people actually start coming out to see it again in four months, you know, they might keep it in theaters because they're still making money off of it.
0: Right. Yeah. But that's, that's, uh, a huge if in the sense of what the information we have to operate off of the information we have to operate off of is that we're going to get some big releases, November and December. Sure.
1: So, um, but you know, I, I feel like also tenant is one of those films that like your average viewer is going to kind of have a headache after going to see, you know, yeah. um, when they come out, they'll probably either immediately want to rewatch it or, you know, they'll be hitting YouTube for, uh for the uh you know 10 explained videos hello everybody yeah
0: <laughs> but it's uh, called search engine optimization <laughs> and it's why you're here right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um but the big the big problem is that um like i we've talked about youtube critics and such before and I, i'm i not sure that the, I, I haven't really gone and watched all the 10 explained videos yet okay. um but From what I imagine, I assume that a lot of them don't really understand – like, they might understand it a little bit and they might understand the mechanics, you know. Sure. But as far as, like, the insight, the meaning, that kind of thing goes, like, to fully, like, grasp this movie and be able to, like, appreciate it for what it is – and we'll talk about the insight in a second – but to fully understand that, it's probably going to take a couple viewings and at least a little bit of uh, reflection, right – so mm-hmm. all those videos that are circulating right now that released in the first week of Tenet, right, where they just, like, went and watched it, uh, talked about it for 30 minutes, and then, like, sat down and, you know, recorded their episode, you know, like we did with our initial episode. um, Like, they're not really – gonna like, I, I assume a lot of them will be talking about shit like – well, we couldn't hear oh, the you're dialogue. Totally right. right. And that's what their whole fucking episode's about. And like when you hear that, like you're not going to want to go see it. So there's a lot
0: of people that haven't seen Tenet right now. And it's well, you're also right in the sense that it's the only thing to talk about. So like there's just gonna be, and that has been odd wall-to-wall coverage of Tenet on like every film website. You know what I mean? Because yeah. tenant is like the only thing out. So that's a little bit of a plus as well, because that's the only thing being talked about. Right. Because it's the only thing. out. Um, so.
1: But slowly but surely, you're going to get people, you know, like us that enjoyed the film that are coming out and being like, hey, it's really good. You should go watch it. This is why this is why we like it. Right. And, you know, you'll have people that are bigger than us doing that. And it'll start pulling a lot of people in that want to uh, that are like, oh, wait, I actually do want to go see Tenen actually, you know, I, because I saw these people talk about it and I, you know, think it sounds very interesting right yeah so then that's what i'm saying is that there might be a, an upsurge again like somewhere in that like two to four month area right where like people have gotten i,
3: I think that's more reasonable
0: again. to say that it's going to be well that's why that it could get it, it, an upsurge in the holiday season i think if there's yeah. going to be an upsurge it's going to happen in the holiday season here sure. towards the middle of november to the beginning of january but right. I do right but think that's why it could be six months
1: well, that's why it could stay in theaters up to six months too, because like, if it is experiencing an upsurge, they're not going to pull tenant. You know, Um I mean, yeah,
0: I mean, at I that it point, it would be in theaters for what uh, until March. I don't know. I don't think it'll be in theaters in March, but I get what you're saying, and I do think it'll definitely be in theaters longer because we already know they have that deal. But I think you're right that there is a the ability for it to make a comeback, essentially. So
1: yeah, well. You know, it's really bizarre to think about that because, like, you know, throughout our whole lives, that's never happened. You know, like the longest something's ever stayed in theaters for me was Avengers Endgame. You know, and if
0: something has a domestic opening like this, it's normally gone out of theaters within a month.
1: Right. Right. But that was with the old model. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, like, we don't really know what the new model is. And if it's anything like the model that was in the 70s, we could be looking at like and it depends on, like, you know, how COVID affects our. Our, uh, just our way of life, you know? Yeah. But we could be looking well, yeah. at uh, releases that stay in theaters for years in the future,
0: right? If Well, it, it, may, it might be in a regional way. So that sure. would line up with what happened in the 60s and 50s and so on, which is that right, the right. movie was technically in theaters For a really long time, maybe. But it was mostly like on the coast internationally. Well, exactly. It would be on the coast for a few months and then these coasts for a few months and then this area of middle America for a few months. So what might happen is it might be essentially out of theaters pretty much everywhere in America by mid late January, maybe February, Mm -hmm. maybe even December, depending on whether or not it gets its uplift. Right. right. But places like L.A. and Chicago and so on that may not have opened their theaters yet, as I don't believe they have, it may get showing there. Right. Sure. We'll see.
1: Um, but anyways, uh, I know we've, we've kind of uh, circled this insight for a while. So why don't we just talk about it? Um, sure. <laughs> so uh, one of the first things that I wanted to talk about in terms of the insight, though, is that like, uh, you know, Reaper, the film that I'm making is a two-parter, right? Was there originally supposed to be a four-parter, but, you know, production and stuff. Um, so it's going to be a two-parter, um, but it's. The the problem with it is uh, that the insight essentially builds to the final uh, film. So while there is kind of an insight in the first film, it's really building towards the larger insight in the second film. Right. And that's kind of what I felt like was happening here. You know, um, like where this film ends, as far as like building a meeting into your film goes, it feels like the middle. Right. I don't know if you felt that Quaid, but like I I felt like there were a lot of like kind of loose strings at the end. You know, there's some of that yeah. Where where it kind of felt like a half built pyramid. You know, where it's like it's trying to get to something but it's like not we're not there yet, you know. And like we do have a top of what we've built so far, but like you know, I I still feel like yeah. there's a lot to build on.
0: I I completely agree with you. The clearest thing that you have for finding insight into this thing is the very end scene. Yes. well, not the very, yeah. Well, the very whole f- having scene, but essentially faith. with Robert Pattinson, yeah. exactly having faith in a discussion of what faith is and its reality and this sort of thing, right? And also the conversation or sort of the contrast throughout the film between our protagonist and the villain, especially that conversation they have at the very end on the phone um, and what his motives might be, right? And that's sort of what you have, and you're right. It sort of does feel, especially for something when you imagine other known films like Inception, yeah, where. It feels that the ending is so cathartic because it is so wrapped up in the fiber of every single thing right. of, that, of that movie, you know, right. and so on. And you're right. This sort of lacks that same oomph, um in terms of its insight, in terms of its what you you refer to as the top of a pyramid, right? Yeah, yeah. So I get what you're saying and I agree with you. It's definitely built for a series and this is supposed to be right. the, the first and smaller umph of the next Right, two, right. Which is,
1: I, I feel like, I actually feel like it's going to be a two-parter. Like, I think that this is... Um, okay. I, I, personally, I feel like we've reached the the pincer That would make point. sense with the pincer, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think what the pincer is... That's why I was saying that I feel like it would make sense if uh, Neil was the main character of the sequel. Right. I know
0: Nolan would not do this, but mm-hmm. I would do this because I love it. And <laughs> I want the i want the end of the next movie to be his like founding speech of the tenant organization and it just goes off on that high boom i would love it yeah <laughs> you and your speeches man <laughs> yeah, i love it man uh but all right go ahead what you you going to say
1: um essentially like I, I think um i think i think this first one has to do with uh kind of like you know what he said faith and reality right and mm-hmm. I guess what I kind of interpreted that into is uh essentially like accepting your faith or sorry ex- accepting your fate without letting it debilitate you, right um And it's actually kind of an important insight uh when I started thinking about it is because like when people start finding out a lot about the world around them um i i i I've seen this a lot in a lot of you know just people that I know um. You know, as we as we get older and a lot more of our friends become wiser to the world, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them fall into nihilism. Right. Yeah. And. This is this is what I would say is kind of like accepting your fate um, and letting it debilitate you. Right. Letting it like knowing that you're not the one in control, um, letting that be the reason why you don't do anything. Right. Yeah um and and it it's almost like to me this film was uh an argument against inaction right in the face of fate yeah. um and it, it's kind of like a hard argument to make kind of, especially when you're talking to nihilists, uh to to explain to them how while you can while you may be fated um you know to die eventually right yeah. how that doesn't uh how that doesn't uh warrant inaction and actually the opposite it warrants um extreme action
0: right i mean i can't agree with what you're saying about this film more frankly because i was thinking of nihilism and solapism right uh if i'm pronouncing that right while watching the movie the first time what you have is the main guy. He is nihilistic. Yeah, he's nihilistic about his own child, and knowing that he doomed his own child. Right. He's nihilistic because he's going to die. He's going to kill himself, which is the ultimate act of nihilism. Right. Right. And what you have, on the other hand, is you have faith. And what what is faith? I think, I think a basic way to explain faith as a starting part for people is the beginning, the fuel, uh, fighting, the fuel of action. Yeah. Um. The you know the that beginning place in that that place that also sustains you throughout um, fighting for something essentially whether it's yourself or your future whatever it may be it might be a small thing might be a really big thing like intent, right uh, but also that that it's connected to reality in this movie is so important right that faith and reality become the same thing because your actions are real and they're a part of reality right so when you when you have an overwhelming despair right what is a, what is the perfect? encapsulation of despair in action uh it's suicide which limits your ability to take any further action right so it's it's beautiful it's just a beautiful uh symmetry that nolan's created right
1: well and and i think i I think what's interesting is uh the idea of kind of like faith in their ignorance um they're almost like allowing themselves to be small you know Mm -hmm. and i i think that's that was a big point that he was trying to make is that like this person that has a God complex is the nihilist one, right? Because it's essentially this combination of knowing that your fate is essentially decided for you and believing that you're the center of the universe, right? Exactly. That causes nihilism, right? Exactly. Accepting your, like, your minuscule
0: effect. Right. Accepting, accepting ignorance means that you don't know what's going to happen. So you you're fated, right? Right. But your your ability to fight then because you don't know what the end is going to be. And when you're a nihilist when you're in despair, you have you have a feeling of certainty of how things are going to be.
1: Yeah. Now, that being said, right, where like this whole film is kind of about um, about uh, you know accepting yourself as a pawn in the greater game. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like the second film is going to be about the greater game. Right.
5: Sure. Um
1: and the reason why I think Nolan and, and this is this is like I, I've explained why I have my like logical theory about why I think the second film is gonna go into alternate realities. Right. But this is my this is my film reason, right? Um, And this is my breakdown of the insight reason why I think that that's exactly where the second film is going is because when you take um, when you take this uh, idea, right, that you have to be a pawn in the greater game, and then you're going to go to this idea of, you know, understanding the greater game, right, and like actually having an effect and really like Elevating to the point where you do actually have a modicum of control over the things that happen in the world, right? Yeah, it requires. Like the the most important thing is like when when you look at when you look at the world in that way, right? And what what I mean by this is the difference between um the difference between being a foot soldier on the ground in a war, having to accept his part, right, to being the general, yeah. Right, is that like i think there's there's a very important message that you essentially have to understand how to be the pawn first right that you can't get to that point and and like i'm sure that like this is essentially what the second film will be about it is about these false um these false gods right these people that feel as if they are Feel as if they are important only because they feel righteous and because they have nothing uh, because they would have nothing else otherwise versus, you know, the protagonist, this man who, like, essentially was a pawn, accepted his own ignorance, accepted his, like, smallness in the scope of everything that was happening and started to grow and realize that he was really the um, mastermind behind all this, right? Right. And yeah. essentially, we're going to be able to see how far that growth goes, right? And like that's why I think on a uh, filmmaking and insight level and just kind of like I feel in my gut where this is going is into alternate realities because that's the only way that that would like make sense, right? That's cool. Um, so like my my logical brain is – There, my heart is there, and I'm like, the only way that both those things are there is if Nolan wanted me to be here, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, and so, like, yeah, yeah, that's that's by me trying to like find or by me looking at Tenet and realizing that something was off, and that, like, you know, I, I think instead of finding a Prometheus critique, I ended up finding like a very important clue, you know? Um, very cool. But yeah, no, so basically, the inside of this film is already so profound. But, like, you know, like we said, we felt like it is building somewhere, and you know, yeah, I agree that it hasn't quite gotten there yet. And I, I really feel like this is a two movie, like, I know I said two or three before, and I would like three, but like, well, it even makes sense with the whole tenant, right? Idea, exactly, you know, they have it as two the forwards and the backwards, and you know the, what, the, the pincer, you know what, the name maybe. of the next film should be is Tenant, but the whole thing's mirrored.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> um i did want to uh re-emphasize one point of the meaning of this film though and why i brought up solipsism, right because mm. this guy our villain is not convinced that things exist outside his own mind and that's why he's willing to sort of destroy the world in a sense he's flirting with this idea because if he's dead then the world's dead right yeah uh from his perspective um but if you connect that to faith being reality and also connected to action, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it brings a, a deeper meaning into uh, you have to have faith that reality exists. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, you can't, if you can't ultimately maybe this is going to sound a little weird to people, but maybe you can't ultimately prove it to yourself no matter what you do. Right. So you have to have faith in order to propel forward in order to do something positive.
2: Right. Um,
0: right. Yeah. It's just important to emphasize that, um, that little point there. Cause I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Cause there was this flirting with that philosophical idea.
1: In there. Yeah, exactly. Cause, cause when you think about it, faith, faith is absolutely a choice that you have. Right. Yeah. And like you're essentially making yourself smaller. Right. That's, that's the whole idea of faith is like essentially giving control of yourself up. Right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, that is interesting because like when you do get into this whole idea that like, you know, the world and, and like, I, I love, I forget who, who was it Nietzsche. I, I can't remember, but anyways, Go someone understand. was talking about the, uh, how, like what you see and what you call things could be nothing like what everyone else does. Right. And there's right. no, there's no proof that you aren't the only being in the universe. And like that, every, everything else is a figment of your imagination. Right. Yeah. Which is again, kind of like what you, what you said that the uh, Sator was getting into, right. Where he, he believes right. that he is essentially like a God because he is ending yeah. the universe with his own life. You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and like in a sense, if he had succeeded, it's weird because like in this film, in a sense, if he's succeeded, he sort of would have been right a little bit, you know,
0: because like this whole universe never w- would have existed, right? Well, it's it's tied up into despair, right. which is what he's personifying and nihilism, because despair is sort of the mindset of nihilism, nihilism being sort of a philosophical viewpoint and suicide being sort of the ultimate action of both of those. Right. If someone were to come to me and I was being rather dramatic and I'm retelling something, a story I've heard of other people or another person who's done this, I said they were a nihilist. Yeah. Well, I'd get a gun and I'd load one bullet into it and I'd hand it over to them and I'd say, prove it to me. <laughs> uh,
5: and they're not going
0: to. The vast majority of people are not going to do that, you know. Yeah. Especially in front of you. Especially if they're coming to you like, "Oh, I'm despairing" or "I'm a nihilist." They're not going to do that because they actually do have some modicum of faith, and right, you know, they can't ultimately make that action, which is what he's doing, right. right? And so once you make that little leap there, to and hopefully if you use that illustration, please don't use that illustration, <laughs> but if you do. Uh, you've shown them, you know, no, actually you do have faith. You do have faith in your reality and you're not despairing and you're going to move forward and you have to give up, you know, right? Like what you were saying, you have to have faith and understand how small you are. That's what a lot of people mean by having faith in God is that having faith in an idea of a being, uh, making sure that things are going to be all right. And that if you work towards the positive, he's going to, everything's going to be right in the end necessarily you know and it's not going to be despair and not going to be doom. sure um yeah i, so I also do like how intru-
1: like this this film did a really good job at um talking about faith in a really non-religious way you know which yeah. personally like i appreciate it but
0: <laughs> you know um, it's good i i like that because the, the concept of faith as a religious person has become so deteriorated in sort of like uh the modern discourse sure. in the modern mind.
2: Right.
3: right. So I
0: really do appreciate it when someone like Nolan can come around and make a really good movie and sort of reintroduce the concept of faith from the other direction. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know? Yeah. And that's why, you know, I like doing that occasionally where like, you know, people talk to me about like, I don't know, like the simulation theory. And I'm like, yeah. oh, this is great. You know, I can go like, oh, you know, simulation theory, that's essentially theism, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then people start thinking about that in a different way. Right, you know? right. It sort exactly. of breaks through all the the preconceptions they have because of the modern culture. So.
1: Right, right. Um, yeah. It's, I, I think the uh, the predominance of theisms in general shows how much faith humans have like on the regular yeah. um but it's interesting cuz it's i think faith almost gets demonized um in modern day
0: you know um because of inaction, that's the hilarious thing, you Right, exactly. Uh, compared to Tenet. is a lot of people say, "Oh, you have faith, so you're not going to do anything," which is like that's what's so great about Tenet. is like showing no that faith is intertwined in action itself. You know, you don't just sit there. Right, right. right. Um, but so, th-
1: that's like the problem is like I feel like that's also been something that's long forgotten, and like a lot of people have fallen into um, essentially nihilism with his, which I would say is essentially faith in inaction, which. You know,
0: um, I call it despair. I wouldn't necessarily agree with the last part there. Sure. But sure. I think we pretty I mean, much that, have that, done
1: that's it. That's like a it's it's weird. It's almost like a double negative. What I just said. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um No, I, I get I get what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, but anyways, do you have any quick little things you want to say? I have one and then we you, could uh wrap it yeah, up. Go here.
1: ahead. Here, You go first. Yeah.
0: OK, so my quick little thing. I had no idea that John David Washington was the son of Denzel Washington. No clue. Wait, what? He's the son of Denzel Washington. Yeah, the protagonist is the son of Denzel Washington. No wonder I like them so much. What? I love Denzel. Yeah, yeah, lucky bastard, right? Lucky bastard gets to. <laughs> I mean, he's talented, what? but lucky bastard. I, I literally
1: no. I, I had no idea either. No, this is actually the first uh, time yeah. I'm ever hearing of that. That's
0: yeah. It that's popped crazy. up in my like suggested Google reading your mind about what you want to click on feed uh and it was like oh john david washington his dad denzel washington still makes him do chores and i was like what and i started looking into it, yeah <laughs> that's
1: crazy um yeah but yeah no um the other the, the other small thing is that i wanted to say is that like um we had we had a lot of prometheus critiques in this episode and like you know whether those were correct or not correct and i i, I believe that um I believe 100% that the car one was wrong. Uh, Just that little moment in that car chase, right? Where they just like did something that didn't make any sense at all. Literally only for the short moving timeline, right? Um, That, and then um, that gun, that is a paradox because it it literally only exists. I think that
0: one will be explained though. If if
1: it's, if, you know, the protagonist had it in his like holster. And when he got blown in, it like blows out of his holster and into the, uh, into the, uh, um, forward moving protagonist's hand, then it would be explained. And that that's actually, that was when I was thinking about it, that's the fix, right? Is it something that small is that you just need that item to have an origin in the timeline. Right. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say though, that like, even when films have like goofs like this, you know, it doesn't detract from the film at all. Um, At all. And it, it, I think it really amounts to why you're watching film in the first place. Like, I I think a lot of these people that are um, like, I actually like where uh, IMDB puts these continuity errors and stuff or plot, small plot holes. Like when a plot hole is huge, that's a problem. Right. But if it's literally a gun that doesn't have an origin in the timeline, that's not a huge problem right and that's not i would say that that's more of a plot hole than a continuity error because uh you know it just originates from nowhere but um regardless of if that gun you know didn't come out of his holster and the forward moving protagonist is holding it at the end of that scene and it ends up on the ground um at the end of that scene at the other end of that scene like even if that gun only exists in that space in that timeline, it doesn't make sense that it would be there. Um, That doesn't change why we're here to see these films. And um, when you look at these other people that only go to see um, movies in an extremely superficial light, you know, for entertainment, they're not there to um, essentially have a conversation with this director and have, and like learn something. Right, and yeah. have something uh, profound and proven to them. Right, if they're not there for that reason, those things are going to be important. But when you look on IMDb, like continuity errors and stuff, um, small plot holes, those are on like goofs, which is between like trivia and like random facts, you know, <laughs> or like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, or trivia and like Q and A or something. Right, it's mm-hmm. literally so it, it's it's trivial, right? Um, It's like little fluff on the film and like I hate that our modern day criticism has focused so hard on this – on like the frosting of the cake, (laughs) you know? Um, No, I completely agree with you. It's
0: this obsession with being clever.
1: Yeah, yeah. And they're like this little cluster of frosting on this cake isn't exactly symmetrical to the cluster next to it. You know, yeah. and I'm like, well, what about the like whole fucking cake though? Did it taste good? Like, <laughs> like these are the things well, that just I just imagine to
0: know. the mindset. Imagine the mindset of someone like editing together a cinema sins video or something. Frankly, and it's like just laughing, giggling. You know, as they're like, ha, 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 I found the mistakes, ha, ha, ha. right? You know right. what I mean? It's just like, well, and, just don't and be. And finding <laughs> a real mistake is one thing. Like,
1: like when they're trying to prove an insight and they like legitimately, uh, like.
0: Yeah, but that's never what a cinema really is. No, like, yeah, for sure. It really is. Well,
1: if, you know, if, or it's if all it has so, been
0: that like, in the past, I've never seen one that's like that. Um, yeah, it's like all this surface level stuff of like, oh, when they were driving up in the car, this part of the car, you know, the head, the headrest was up and now it's down. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all the frosting, right? Yeah.
1: Like when we talk about criticisms of something like Spectre, which we both thought was one of the weakest James Bond movies. Right. Yeah. When we talk when we criticize that film, which we we kind of have criticized that film before, um, not only did we uh kind of like break apart exactly why um that film was the weakest in um like it was it wasn't any surface level stuff. We weren't talking about how you know James Bond's collar was like a little flipped in this shot and then not flipped in this other shot. We talked about like overarching stuff like relationships between the character what the movie was trying to say how the movie related back to its other films and what it did wrong and most importantly what it could have done to make it better right yeah. and i think i think when you go to the the you know cinema to have a conversation with the director and have something profound presented to you in a way that like you know could potentially change your life those kind of things those small little prometheus critiques don't Um, like they don't fucking matter, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they they're the smallest thing, and whether or not that five seconds of that car chase was wrong, whether or not that gun had no origin in this film, it does not detract from this film at all. I still stand by my fact by my statement before. Um, and actually even more so than the first watch, um, saying that I think that this is another masterpiece by Nolan.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. It's heckling, man. It's as if you saw, you know, transport yourself back to like some classical era and some grand general just executed some sort of fantastic strategy and he's just come out a victor. You know what I mean? Right, right. And in the crowd, someone starts heckling him, you know, <laughs> and making fun of his appearance, you know, or the fact that, you know, some extra people died on this wing of the battle. You know what I mean? Right. And it's just like, what are you talking about? Something great just happened, you know? Just, you know. Right. So that's how I view about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, like that's honestly, and for anybody that's new listening, like that's what this channel is about. Like we want, you know, to take a deep dive into these films and really concentrate on why we're here, why we're watching cinema, and most importantly, why we love cinema. And, you know, we want to. You know, put that out on a platform. We want to learn. Yeah.
0: I mean, frankly, this is us learning. That's true. And maybe uh helping some people on the way or or at the very least entertaining. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why we don't uh do any movie we don't like. If we're talking about it and you think we're talking about it in a negative way, well, we're making an episode about it so we really like it or we like right. it at the very least. And if we
1: talk mean. about a film that we so. don't like, it's probably in passing. You know, we, we will exactly. never we'll never do an episode where we talk about a film that we don't like. Um yeah. That's not how we do things around here. Um, yeah. And honestly, it's because if you uh, – I don't know if you guys have ever tried to criticize something that you don't like, but it's really hard to be objective about it first off. You turn into the clever man. Right, right. Um, whereas if you criticize something that you do like, um, you almost always give it the benefit of the doubt. And like that's this is one thing that I've noticed about uh, Cinemason's in particular is that he completely lacks an ability to uh, infer anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, There was a part in the Interstellar episode where, like, there was a jump cut and, like, he didn't recognize it. Right. He was like, Nice. "Uh, How'd they catch up to that uh, drone in like 30 seconds? And it's like, ding. It's like, well, no, it was a jump cut. It could have taken any number of
0: minutes. We don't know. It's a fucking jump cut. Right. (laughs) Well, not to get on my soapbox again, but I'm getting on my soapbox. (laughs) Uh, This is what I mean about romanticism and the inherent. Romantic nature of art, but especially cinema in general, is because you have things like that where due to the editing of a film, you just, you're just you just jumping in time, right? With a jump cut, right? Yeah. Or so on and so forth, which is, from the perspective of CinemaSins, a very clever person and people like him, illogical. But once <laughs> again, that's not the point, you know? That's not the point at all. So it's just very annoying to me. Yeah,
1: well, and and really, it's it's not that the film did something wrong; it's that he couldn't infer what the film was trying to say, right? Yeah. And it, it's, well, it's
0: also using the wrong metric. You're measuring a, a movie by the wrong measurement to measure something like that by. You know what right. I mean? You
1: don't. But that's what I mean so. is when you love something, when you when you go at a film like Interstellar and you love it, right? You're almost always yeah. going to give the filmmaker the benefit of the doubt. So when you yeah. when you see something like that. Instead of seeing it as a mistake, you'll see it as a jump cut, right? The problem with reviewing a film that you don't like is that you will always be looking for something to justify why you don't like it.
0: It's an emotional standpoint, which is like very similar to what I'm saying about romanticism is like, that's what the film is, is in essence anyways, is sort of an emotional ride, you know? And like more deeply than necessarily the logic of something like a, whether or not you're jumping through time with your editing. Right, right. And so if you approach it uh, with loving emotion as opposed to sort of a cynicism, which is sort of lacking emotion in many ways. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? So, Right, right. Exactly.
1: But, you know, we, we love film here. We love filmmakers. And even, you know, I, you know who I think is a perfect example of this is like. Um, uh, sorry i, I kind of just jumped in my head so like whenever i go into a theater i always try to blink out my mind you know just try not to take anything external into my viewing you know and keep it all mm-hmm. what the filmmaker is talking about right because if they're a good filmmaker every ounce of information you're going to need is going to be you know from mi- between minute zero and the end right sure um but uh I think that's why I think it's important to empty out your mind because when you bring in outside stuff uh it's really easy to like like or dislike a film because
2: yeah a bad day yeah exactly
1: <laughs> um, and I get that sometimes that's impossible, you know, like if your dog just died that day, you know there's not a lot you yeah. can do about that, but um like something that i one of my favorite films that came out in the past uh decade was uh split, right. Yeah. and that film like no one really talked about it too much i mean like people talked about the actor um i forget his name james mcvoy yeah, uh and you know he obviously did a great job and he very obviously did a great job but no one really talks about how good that film is either you know and i yeah. think the reason that no one ever talks about it is because n night shyamalan has become synonymous with bad film
0: yeah you know? um which is another thing with critics right yeah you know anyone making you have to understand that is they're they're scared of uh they're not self-confident they're not they're very self-conscious and they don't want to get it wrong so to speak right so if someone has a trend of like emna shamlam of being sort of disparaged by the critical community well that trend's going to compound itself because a good chunk of the critical community uh is just getting its cues from their peers you know they're self-conscious right
1: right and i thought it was interesting because when when that film came out if i remember correctly it got like very mediocre scores like uh something between like 60 and 80 percent on rotten tomatoes and metacritic right yeah and that film was like incredible it's great it was so good and um like it, it was it was almost obvious how good it was too right and yeah like when when you had you know people coming in and you know having m night Shyamalan's name literally just being synonymous with bad film i think it just really pulled that film back you know in terms of like yeah. the critical reception in the united states but I, I think that that would have been uh different if people watched films in a different way you know yeah um i agree if people were really there every single time, like when I look at his other films, I don't necessarily think that they're God awful. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like, like when I went and watched after, for example, you know, um, I, I kind of just felt like he missed the mark. Like he didn't, he didn't, uh, like communicate what he was trying to, like at the end of that film, I didn't really know what the insight was. And if I did understand what the insight was, uh, it was extremely simple, and the movie was massively overcomplicated to explain that insight. Right? Sure. Um. Which, like, you know, if if the whole movie was like you have to accomplish, you have to overcome fear to accomplish anything or something like that, yeah, that's such a simple fucking insight. Where like that's usually like first tier insight for a lot of films you know when they're building up the character to get them to where they need to go to tell you what they're actually trying to say you know um yeah. but to revolve an entire movie about that you're like okay why why did you do that you know and then when you watched sure. um avatar you realized that like he just had no idea what the hell the last airbender was about right <laughs> <laughs> um
0: i get
3: you
1: and Uh, And and that he he like undervalued its messages and presented it as something lesser because he thought of it as a kid's story, you know? Sure. Um, And when you look at it like that, you you don't really say like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan is – M. Night Shyamalan makes bad movies, right? You think – Oh, he didn't do well for this one. And you know exactly why he didn't. And
0: do you're that. not judging that movie based on all these like like surface level externality things as well, like continuity and logical critiques. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. So like you, the critique you just gave was of a substance as opposed to what you get a lot in terms of the YouTube snipe buys that a lot of these people right, right. make. and But anyways, I am sort of fading here. So if you want to wrap sure. it
1: up. Um, basically, all I wanted to say to yeah wrap that up is that like, when you look at a film like tenant and you go online and you see all these critics kind of saying like, you know, you can't understand the dialogue, this movie's shit or whatever they're going to say. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, consider that they are trying to make you click their link, you know, yeah. that they're, <laughs> that they're really just Need trying to, it. trying to be the one that's, that is the most clever person in the room that, you know, can, yeah. uh, see what the director fucked up on. And that was to what makes them better than everyone else. You know? Yeah. Christopher Nolan's an amazing filmmaker. And regardless of what small continuity errors or plot holes he has in his film, the overall message is unhindered from those things. Right. Yeah. Um, and really honestly for this one, it it definitely is going to depend on a sequel. And I think that if, if there ever, ever is a sequel, we should probably talk about both films in a, uh, singular episode. I'm um, deep down. Yeah. But, uh, as far as this film goes, uh, you know, talking about faith, talking about nihilism, uh, talking about the difference between inaction an and, uh, you know, accepting your place in the world and doing what you can. Um, it's a really fucking good message and it's a really uh, it's something that a lot of people honestly need to hear these days. So like if you, if that's something that you find interesting and you like want to um w- want to think about, you know, go see tenant again. Uh, you know, yeah. even if you've already seen it once and you're listening to this to kind of figure out what the hell was going on, like go see it again and really like um really focus in on those, that meaning, you know, while you're watching this film because it's going to be, The most interesting part of what you're watching
0: yeah as i mentioned earlier nolan has rewatches in mind so there's layers there so go watch it yeah yeah all right well uh i think our next episode is gonna be hunger right yes uh actually before that
1: we're doing the genre episode aren't we
0: that's gonna be a possible bonus episode coming up soon uh, but where we're going to be talking about our theories of genre and systemizing genre and probably arguing yeah. for a good chunk <laughs> of that episode. Um, but our next movie we'll be doing is Hunger. Um, yeah. That we know for sure that we're going to be doing. So if you want to watch with us, that's by Steve McQueen. It's his first feature film starring Michael Fassbender. And I believe it's either 2009 or 2008. Yep. So it's very good. Cool. All right. Well. I guess we're gonna roll some sort of Christopher Nolan interview or voiceover that I found while editing, and uh, we'll see you next time, guys. See you later.
5: We had an excellent time shooting in Denmark. Um, I had first seen the, the wind farm, uh, which is the the sequence that, w- that we shot in Denmark. I'd, I'd seen it uh, from the window of a plane flying over, I was flying to Germany, and uh, made a note of, of where it was, um, because seeing these windmills, uh, these turbines out in, in the water and that, it's just the incredible engineering that went into that and the amazing infrastructure that it represents. It's something I really wanted to put, put into a film. Uh, and so a couple of years later, when we were looking at where to shoot, um, it turned out actually that uh, we got the best cooperation uh, and really had a, an amazing time shooting out at that extraordinary facility. It's really quite remarkable. Um, and there was a great team of people uh of local people there to to help facilitate us safely going out onto the turbines and filming there and filming in and amongst that uh and in that incredible environment i've always loved the spy genre i grew up watching the james bond films and uh, you know later on the born films and you know the john le Carre and all of these these great um representations of of espionage in fiction, and the uh, escapist component to that, I think, is a big part of that. For me, cinematically, what the spy film always allowed was the idea of international travel, the idea of the glamour, being able to go places in the cinema that you'd never be able to go in real life uh, and have access to all kinds of extraordinary situations that you get to enjoy by, by proxy. And that's very much what we tried to bring to Tenet, but we tried to do it. With an added science fiction component, we try to do it with um, a concept that would allow audiences to approach this in, in a fresh way. Uh, for me, Tenet really is about taking the, uh, the elements of, of spy fiction, and, and particularly cinematic you know, spy fiction, and having, having new reason to look at them in a different way, taking them and turning them on their heads, really.
4: Uh, first of all, this is an absolute honor, Mr. Nolan and Mr. Washington, uh, Mr. Nolan, the moment cinematic immersion changed for me as an audience member was the moment I watched you flip that 18 wheeler in dark Knight* with Jim <laughs> Wilkie in the truck. i had never seen anything okay. like that before on a 70 millimeter IMAX screen 1431 aspect ratio It was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. And I've talked to you over the years about your use of practical effects. I know each one on this film was very challenging, but I wanted to get this from a perspective of the director and also the actor in the film for you, Mr. Nolan, what was the most challenging practical effect to pull off in Tenet? And for you, Mr. Washington, as the actor, from the physicality standpoint, what was the toughest for you to perform? So Mr. Nolan, for you first, the toughest uh, effect to pull off in this film.
5: Well, uh, you were talking about the great Jim Wilkie flipping the the truck in The Dark Knight. Um, We try and give him a little more to do on every film. Uh, This time he was driving a 747, so we said to Jim, "Can you drive a 747 and can you drive it into that building?" Uh, And so, yeah, doing the 747 crash uh, uh, was the biggest physical challenge. But we've done large-scale things like that with this great team, including Jim behind the wheel, Uh, and that. Gives you confidence that you can try and raise the game you can try and put a, a bigger effect on screen uh, than you've done before but but that was the big one for us
4: and for you from a physicality standpoint
5: yeah um you know
6: it, it was definitely the in, inverted rules, the inverted world rules of fighting that uh, have never been done before in, in in movies or i don't know if ever so um um that in my fear of heights so it was jumping off of a tall story building in mumbai that uh, was the hardest but uh, just the day in and day out was the, the physicality, were the movements and the ev- evading punches, first forwards and backwards, the flipping and the, the snapping of the necks and everything, uh, doing that every which way. It was so much fun to discover, though, and I felt like we were, you know, with, uh, with George Cottle and company, uh, we were finding these moves together in a lot of ways. You know, we're on this new frontier of, uh, of uh, action sequences that were really cool to find and discover and sort of make up at times, and uh, that was really fun. That was a lot of fun. It was incredible mr
4: nolan i've always loved the way that you use time as an immersive tool in your films and for me the scene i always look back at is matthew mcconaughey watching the 23 years of footage of his children growing up after being gone for a little less than four hours and that emotional idea of time making that scene so much more emotional i was interested in asking you over the years how your perception of time has changed while you've been a filmmaker in this business and the idea of how you use time earlier in your films and how that affected the way you use it here in Tenet.
5: Well, I mean, there's a lot to chew on in that that question, but uh, I mean, I think one of my fascinations with time and one of the reasons I think it's an interesting element to explore in, in movies is the way your perception of time changes throughout your life, Uh, you know, time, uh, for those of us who just turned 50, time feels like it's accelerating very fast. Uh, But that that idea that the time is uh, abstract and mutable and complex. uh, It's one of the defining characteristics of our existence, but it's very hard to describe uh, or explain uh, or understand. And that to me makes it fertile ground for uh, cinema, because the movie camera it was the first sort of instrument, imaging instrument that was created that can literally see time and can let us look at time differently. We can look at slow motion, fast motion. We can reverse the film. We can watch it forwards. And so I think uh, there's a special relationship between movies and time. And I've always been interested in in exploring that. And I think there's some sense in which my earlier films tend to do this in a metaphorical way or a structural way. But I always wanted to take it on in a, in a very... Uh, physical way, in a way that the characters and the story uh, would have to deal with the reality of these manipulations of time. And that's what Tenet is. And so someone coming to see Tenet who's familiar with my earlier work, I think will see the culmination of a lot of ideas that, that I've been experimenting with um, over the course of my career. You
4: know, Mr. Nolan, the happiest I've been in six months was walking hmm. out of Tenet. I had tears in my eyes, not only from the emotional uh, realm of the story, but also just being back in a movie theater was the happiest I've been in a long time. I got on the phone with my friends who also saw the film and we had a two hour long discussion, unraveling every aspect of this film and I'm taking my wife to see it tonight. I bought tickets. I cannot wait to talk to her about it for two hours afterwards. So I want to ask each of you as I wrap up, I'll start with you, Mr. Nolan, and end with you, Mr. Washington. What was a film you remember seeing growing up? What could it have been with your friends or a family that you walked out and you remember having like, Dis- uh, discussions, dissecting the meaning of it, the shots you experienced. Do you remember a film like that for each of you? Mr. Nolan, I'll start with you.
5: Well, I think for me, the, it was very striking when I was a kid and Star Wars came out. That was a film we were all obsessed with um, and certainly talked about a lot. But the as far as dissecting meaning goes, in the wake of that, they re-released Kubrick's 2001. And myself and all my friends, you know, we were very young at the time, we were eight or nine years old, but, but in that period, they, they showed the film quite a lot in movie theaters. And so we would see it and talk about it and try and figure out what the heck that film meant. Uh, and so that one definitely sticks in my mind as, as one of the one of the great thought-provoking movies.
4: And Mr. Mr. Washington, one for you?
5: Well, I'm not just saying this because of present company, but uh, <laughs>
6: surprise, surprise, Inception. I mean, I, it's we still discuss it with, amongst friends and family, so that's the one for me, just leaving the movie theater, and similar feelings of after reading this script, of just like, I thought I had it, then I didn't have it, couldn't wait to get back to it and see it again type of deal, so it was definitely exceptions for me.